Welcome back to the Science Fiction Film Podcast by LSG Media. I'm Dean. I'm Matthew. And on this week's episode, we bring you Princess Mononoke from 1997, directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Mr. Anderson, did you know that this poll did not get a lot of traction with our listeners, with the Science Fiction Film Podcast listeners? Bunch of anime-hating fools. Mm. Look at you. Should all be hanging your heads in shame. Nope, they weren't interested. Not um, interested. But I'm, I'm basing that the few who did, were interested were very interested because they left a lot of comments on this movie on our Facebook group. A lot of comments. A lot of love. A lot of love. Uh, Miyazaki, the director, he's a bit of an anime hero. You oh, would totally. say he's done a lot of uh, a lot of movies, and um, this term Studio Ghibli gets thrown around a lot. And oh, um, <clears throat> I don't know a hell of a lot about that until I started covering this movie. But this is the studio responsible for things like Castle in the Sky and Porco Rosso and and uh, Mononoke, of course, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo, and uh, all of these movies. Now, of the Studio Ghibli uh, image uh, pictures. I've only seen two, Princess Mononoke and this one. I have not seen Howling Castle. I haven't seen Porco Rosso. Those are some of the more popular ones. I haven't seen any of them. I've only seen this one in Spirited Away. And Spirited Away was in the poll. In yeah. addition to Spirited Away being in the poll, man, we had Jinro, The Wolf Brigade, Ninja Scroll, and Vampire Hunter Deep Bloodlust. So those are the five movies up for pick. Princess Mononoke won that pick, Anime August's. And um, here we are. And uh, this was one of those polls that I kind of pushed. I said, hey, John, can you make the poll this this month? He had other ideas in mind. His ideas were also good. And um, yeah, uh, apparently he has his finger on the pulse of what people want to vote on more than I do because less of a turnout for this one. But that's not going to stop me and you, sir, from discussing this movie. Indeed. I was ready to watch uh, anime. I hadn't watched it in a while. Um, yeah, me neither. No, like, um, well, like, I mean, that's, you know, in all honesty, that's not totally true. Uh, probably uh, two, three months ago, went on a little Miyazaki binge, actually, of movies oh. of his that I haven't seen. You went on um, a Studio Ghibli bitch? binge? Uh, it was actually Studio Ghibli, but Miyazaki's movies in particular, because um, those are definitely the most popular uh, out of Studio Ghibli. Because for me, the only ones I'd seen before before this were Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away. And I see I got to see them both in theater, because every every year they actually have this uh, fucking Studio Ghibli fest where they'll actually put out a whole bunch of the Studio Ghibli movies again on different weekends. So I got to see both of those in theater, and I gotta say, Mononoke in a theater is fucking awesome. Sure. Um, um, but when I went back and, and finally got to watch, there's still plenty I need to watch, but I did watch uh, My Neighbor Totoro, uh, Ponyo. Um, I think there was one more. Mm, no, I think that, shit, that might've been it. That, did, that was did my you little see bit, um, The Wind Rises? That's one I haven't seen. No, I've heard about either. that one. And, and there's also, uh, what is it? I think it's like Nausicaa. Yes. Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. That's another supposedly a little more darker one because like, you know, Kiki's Delivery Service, My Neighbor Totoro, those are, they're almost kind of like the Disney of Japan in that way. Like they're, they're, they're not dumb kid movies, but they're kid oriented, kind of like Pixar. Um, like people can enjoy them. They're very accessible, but they're definitely a little more for kids. And Princess Mononoke 
is a lot more adult. I think kids it could is. handle it, yeah. but it's a much more serious, darker story. Um, and it's and most people consider it the darkest of Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki's uh, movies. Cool. Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Uh, the tag says warrior and pacifist, which is funny. Princess Nausicaa desperately struggles to prevent two warring nations from destroying themselves and their dying planet. Interesting that you're talking about that one because isn't that sort of what Ashitaka is trying to do here? Indeed. That mm. one's supposed to be much more sci-fi too. It's like dystopian post-apocalyptic world. Cool. Yeah, it came out in really 1984. Cool. I'll have to check it out. But okay. um, I'll tell you, I, uh, I'm excited to talk about this movie. I was happy... And I'll tell you, I I was kind of leaning on, oh, it would be cool to do Ninja Scroll. It would be cool to do um, Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust, both fun movies. Um, and I was kind of leaning for them, hoping they would win. And Mononoke won, and I was like, ah, oh, that's fine. I mean, I had the benefit of creating the poll, so there wasn't something in there I didn't feel like watching. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking... I, you had seen this before, though, right? Yeah, but I was thinking, I don't know if I want to watch this one as much as I wanted to watch the other ones. And then when I did, of course, I was happy I did. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a lengthy film. But you're right; it is much more adult in the way it in the way it's executed, in the way the story is told, and the characters themselves. Talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, yeah, it's a it it deals with death and war. I think very frankly, like it, it doesn't hide anything. There, there's a very there's a kind of rawness to this story, uh, and the stakes are are very high. I mean, main characters die, um, and and they die a lot, uh, and. That's I, that, that's what I think is interesting about Miyazaki's movies. Even the ones that are a little more kid oriented, they don't have the only way I can compare is like the Disney ending. A lot of times, mm-hmm. um, you know, things don't just pan out and good triumphs over evil. And also, most importantly, I think this movie puts it on display probably the most of at least of the the movies of his I've seen. But it is pretty common throughout Miyazaki movies of even the antagonists are not just villains like they're there it's very hard to just go that's the bad guy fuck them i'm rooting for my hero to destroy them no like it, it's messier um and i think this movie in particular it gets very gray you kind of you see this massive conflict from all sides and you kind of see that everybody has a valid reason for fighting um and it, it, that's why i think i can't wait to talk about this this movie's kind of portrayal of war and and conflict in general of how sometimes it just has to happen like there that's like the only it's the last tool in the bag to settle in a, a disagreement but sometimes that's the way it goes and that's just two forces that ha- cannot coexist exactly the way they are come to friction and this is how it plays out it's not just bad guys versus good it's just people having to coexist in a way that they can't agree on um and it and it's hard to root for people in this i mean they're good they're definitely you know ashitaka is is a good person he's the hero no question but i think but I think it gets complex in the sense of how do you feel about San? How do you feel about Lady Eboshi? Like, they're not cut and dry characters. There's a lot to them. And I feel like, in a way, this is the kind of movie I would want to, like, if I had a kid, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old, I'm like, you're pretty young, but I want you to see this. I want you to, like, not just, you know, ah, look at that 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 bad guy and, you know, fucking the shitty guy in Beauty and the Beast. Isn't he so bad? Aren't you so glad he's dead and gone? Like, nah, it's more complicated than that. Like, these these characters are fighting for something they all believe in. And I, I, I like that that conflict, that tussle of that you can't just settle into one side or the other. Yeah, you know, Disney's not known for being morally gray. It's not known for that type of storytelling. It's also 
not Eastern storytelling. You know, there's a lot, there's a cyclical yeah. nature to this type of story that we're watching. There's a cyclical nature to um, the, the, the coming and going of the beast, the coming and going of the man, the encroachment of, of the man into the beast's realm, the reclaiming of that, of that territory by nature in the, in the start of that cycle. Again, this is a very cyclical tale. Um, and that's very Eastern to me. Uh, there's the, you could, you could argue there's the yin and the yang of the forest spirit and its denizens. There's the yin of that, the yang of lady, uh, Ibashi, is it? Mm-hmm. Or Iboshi is probably the better way to say it. Iboshi. And then there's this sort of balancing force in the middle of that, which is Ashitaka, who is always in this position where he's like, okay, I'm trying to balance this side against this side. And it's funny because, you know, this, this, is a, this is a story that came out of the 90s, which is kind of neat. Obviously, um, there's some environmental stuff within it, which is, um, which is interesting. And one of the things I always like, you know, I get, I get bored of American politics. I, I get, I, they, <laughs> they, they bore me. I don't, they don't interest me. It's the same old thing over and over again. And I'm not saying that Miyazaki is, is, has a political bend here, but it's almost refreshing sometimes when you're dealing with a foreign picture to be like, yeah. okay, this is like something different, <laughs> you know, it's like, have a it, different outlook on the world and like, just take is, the baggage yeah. of all the shit I'm sick of off of it and get into this. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's funny. It's always interesting to take a, to take a, a story that is of Eastern origin and try to put yourself and, and try to apply what is typically us breaking down the structure of a Western plot, a very, a very, you know, a linear way to tell a story with a definitive ending, where is um, this, uh, this feels a little bit different. It, it definitely has a, a Western influence in it in terms of story structure, but, but so much of this feels like Miyazaki's sort of heritage sort of coming through in that. And I'm, and I, and I can't say for certain that's the truth. I've never interviewed him or even read so much as a word about him outside of, you know, this movie in particular and Spirited Away, but it does have that, that way about it. And I'll tell you, one of the themes that I really reflected with when this movie ended and I was thinking a lot about it was it's, um, I feel like there's a dose of medicine in this movie now uh, over 20 years later to where we see Ashitaka represents really the best, and as far as I can see, the best of humanity in a sense. And mm-hmm. almost like an idealized version of humanity. We talk about we talk about Christopher Nolan a lot, where characters are these archetypical things that have so much emotion behind them, whereas they almost transcend humanity, right? We, we've talked about that before, the Dark Knight as an image, as a, as a metaphor, the Joker yeah. as a metaphor, um, you know, in, in, in even in some of his other movies. There's this metaphorical attachment to a single character where it's not so simple, right? It's a more complicated, it's a little deeper and, uh, and sometimes abstract. And Ashitaka, he's not, I'm not saying he's difficult to relate to, he's not, but he does represent something to me that I think was very important for this movie, clearly as the main protagonist. But there's something very optimistic about Miyazaki's writing of this character because it, it, it's something that seems to be universally applicable today 
just like it was when it came out in 1997. And just like you could probably, you could, or you could probably argue it would have been relevant 20 years before that in the seventies. And that's, and you know, we, we've talked about this before and we don't get super political on the show and that's not really, that's not what I'm getting into. But if we think about opposite sides right now, just in the political spectrum of American politics, we think about this growing chasm between your left and your right party. And it just keeps getting wider and wider and wider. And at least from a public perception, from a public perception, they, they're all truthfully, they all golf together. And that's not even <laughs> me being conspiratorial. That's just the truth. But, that's but as real. far as yeah. <laughs> we can see this growing chasm exists between at least supporters of the left and supporters of the right. And it's, it's a battle. And I don't, your argument is irrelevant to me because I don't like you as a person and I don't like you as a person because you, you like this other person. So it makes me question what I think about you as a person. You, you're judging people on, because of your opinion on people, none of you have even actually met and, and you're distilling down into bullet points and communication doesn't exist and contention exists. And Ashitaka is almost like this healing force, which is like, no, show respect and show respect over here and no communicate and no, you'll kill each other and no, not the rage. You're going to create the demon. And you know, I, I really, I really enjoyed my viewing of this movie this time around because of that, because of the way I saw it now versus the way I saw it when I was a, a lot younger. Um, I, you know, seeing this in your twenties is a lot different than seeing it now. And, um, and it just made me feel that way. Like that's a, that's a big part of this movie to me. And that's respect. There's respect that Ashitaka has for people, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he is maybe at odds with them. He still shows respect for, for, for Eboshi by yeah. doing what he said he was going to do. He, his word matters and not just like, oh, you think this way. So no, no, this is what I said I would do. And I'm going to respect you as a person and respect. There's, there's a lot of respect. That's very, that strikes yeah. me as very Japanese, if, if, yeah. if I may. And like just the ability to oppose someone and what they are doing without having, no, without having zero empathy for them. Like right. you, you can and still he, understand where they're coming from and, and disagree and mm-hmm. even oppose. And respect. And respect, yeah. Correct, yeah. Right. And that's very prevalent in this movie. And it was very refreshing to, uh, to observe Ashitaka as the main character in this movie. But back to your point, there, there is a lot of moral gray between these characters. And I find that very interesting. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sidestepping tropes of a conflict or a battle that you think might go a certain way and it doesn't. And it kind of ends a certain way, which is unexpected, but it's also, it maybe it's counterintuitive to a Western eyes, but at the same time, it's also, it also goes against the grain, which I appreciate, you know, that's, that's something we've talked about, uh, you know, Butters and I talked about off mic about some of Tarantino's thwarted expectations in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is like, you think he's going to do this because he's Tarantino, and then he doesn't, and it's cool, <laughs> and it's and it's like, wow, that that takes a lot of discipline, you know, and uh, that's a that's a word I associate with this screenplay. There's a lot of discipline in it. There's some criticism about this film and the way it ends, and is it is it a bit rushed, and is it a, does it any of it even matter, and and that I, I would like to talk about at the end, of course, but I think, I think a lot of it does matter. And I think a lot of it has to do with just the, the cultural implication of it being more cyclical than a more definitive beginning, middle and end. Yeah. Yeah. And especially this movie's view on nature, uh, I find particularly for one, obviously Eastern and particularly interesting. Um, sure. 
because that is that is one of the one of the stark differences I think between Western and Eastern thinking about nature and about the environment. I mean, it's pretty common. It's pretty embedded into our culture. You know, and it comes pretty much from the Bible of man has dominion over nature and all its creatures. Like we are, we are in charge. We are human supreme over all of nature, and it is at our disposal to use as we see fit. Uh, and that is definitely not. The perspective here, and and with, with a lot of Eastern and Japanese thinking, that nature is something it, it has value in and of itself outside of of humanity, and you know it's it's very wrapped up into I think I think it's called I'm gonna fuck this up I think it's called Shinto religion mm. might be a little off on that, um, but yeah that's a big part of the religion of, this, of the respect of nature and and thinking of like there's so much. Um, you know, mythology within Shinto, Shintoism about trees and tree spirits and like giving it's almost sentience to plants and, you know, right. and the forest as a whole. It's, it's the, a lot of it is the, the, the belief in the, in, in inanimate as well as animate objects possessing spirit. It's very American Indian. Yeah, that's true. Right. Um, but, yeah, so good primer, a good a good place to start. I think there's a lot to discuss mm-hmm. in this movie. Licking my lips. Yeah, there's a lot going on here, and um, I'm looking forward to, to tackling uh, a lot of the the interesting aspects of this movie. Um, so why don't we talk about this setup, which is essentially the 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 open of this movie leads to Ashitaka having to leave his village. So why don't we talk about the beginning of that? up until when he does. And let's, uh, let's, let's see if we can zero in on some of the important parts of this. Uh, first of all, let's, I, I kind of want to talk animation. Oh yeah. Dude, what do you think? These, uh, I think it's fucking beautiful. <laughs> like I, that's honestly what drew me to, uh, you know, studio Ghibli and Miyazaki films first. For one, I, I hadn't seen one. I remember on a lot of like VHS tapes of Disney movies or other random movies I owned as a kid, there would be lots of previews, like little, you know, coming to video, you know, Kiki's Delivery Service or My Neighbor Totoro. And I remember even then thinking, wow, that like, it looks so different from the cartoons I watch. It looks mm-hmm. so different and intricate. Sure. And I kind of want to watch one of those and just never did. And I finally saw Spirited Away first in a theater and was just blown away. And by that point, I'd already seen Akira. I'd already had my eyes opened up to some of the the really fantastic stuff uh, in animation out of Japan, but I wasn't like deep in it and I still hadn't seen any of, of you know Miyazaki's work. And there is just something so intricately and finely detailed about this this animation. And the way, I, I can't wait to talk about some of the action and like the actual fighting mm-hmm. scenes, Absolutely. The, the fluid movement of everything. Sure. Oh man, it is, yeah. it's gorgeous. Katsuhiro Otomo, the Akira guy there, he he is like the Miyazaki of the cityscape, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. Miyazaki's playground is this this sort of like you said. I mean, I'm only going off of Spirit Away in this, truth be told. But um but this these his ability to the animation and the in the artistry of nature is yeah. is awesome especially when contrasted against some of the more demonic stuff and even some of the iron working stuff but but my eye was also drawn to the action to where it's done in such an awesome fashion it it trumps CGI every time that's why animation can yeah. do such cool things if if you can get past the fact that you're watching a cartoon and some people just can't um and you can get into the animation of combat you can do so many awesome things with it because there are no restrictions on it. Yes. There's that's no a restriction. Big 
Dude, that was a big thing I was thinking about in this. And I mean, we can kind of even get into it with this with this opening sequence. Sure. Once you know they realize something dangerous is coming, they've gotten you know word from other people in their you know watch posts from the village that something's coming, something's rumbling through the forest. Mm-hmm. And when Ashitaka climbs this tower, they see it. It is this massive swirling demon yep. uh, that just plows out of the forest and starts heading toward the village. And when he hops on the back of his red elk <laughs> and starts chasing after it, yep. and especially firing arrows, there, when I, was, when I was talking about like the fluidity of the movement, you got to think, if this were done live action, and you're filming this with actual actors, just out of the practical concerns of life and safety of the way you have to film this, you couldn't do it this way. Like, Correct. You know, that, that's why you, you see an action scene in a movie, a guy riding on horseback, we see him pull an arrow back and fire it, and then we cut to his target, you know, because it, it'd be too hard. A camera can't actually physically move fast enough to show us where that arrow went and what it hit. You know, they kind of do some CGI trickery sometimes to make it look like we just panned over, but they actually, you know, really cut to a different shot. But here, because it's all drawn, you can have one continuous fluid take of, you know, a character jumping off their horse, hitting the ground, rolling, standing up, firing an arrow, and, and the follow that arrow hitting its target. And it it almost, in a way, looks more real than live action because they capture movement that a camera just can't. They have to cut. They have to set it up again at a different angle and do this and that. And you know, Live action movies, it makes me realize how much they rely on edits to to convince you of the movement. Sure. Uh, you know, we have to cut here, it's, cut it's here, a, it's cut a very here. important. It's a very important job. It's a very underappreciated job from the typical film goer, which is the editor. Oh, absolutely. But yeah. like that's that's what's amazing here is that they can kind of they can get into portraying movement, I would say more naturally, the way it actually looks in real life, because of we don't have the concern of all right, we we can't actually fire an arrow right here because that would hurt an actor. You know, like there's no way to do this with a stunt man that's actually safe. Right. Yeah. And in, in there are times where animal movement's a big one. And we we cannot the uncanny valley has not been crossed when it comes to digital animals, right? When yeah. we see a tiger move, when we see a CGI of a lion, we go, nah, nope. <laughs> no. Watch the nature channel. Whereas when you draw, you can literally mimic it, you know? And yeah. plus you already are in the mindset of, okay, I'm watching a cartoon. So yeah, because everything's a cartoon. <laughs> correct. So you already you have a it. different mindset going in. You accept it, correct. But exactly. uh, yeah, the, the intensity of the movement... This um, we're also establishing a couple of things here in this open when we we we, we meet this this demon, right? Yeah. Um, we establish Ashitaka's competence as a warrior. Not yes, not only that too. What I think I, is so interesting about his characterization, we we get a real feeling for who Ashitaka is within the first couple of minutes because he chases after the demon, and what does he do? He's first begging it to stop. He's trying to Correct. reason with it. Like he's not just trying to attack it and, and and gun it down. He's like, stop, please stop. You know, my village does not wish any harm toward you. Just mm-hmm. wait <laughs> um, before he fires at it. And only when the girls he warned are running ahead and one falls. I love the zero hesitation, by the way, from the one to just turn around and pull out her sword once her friend is on the ground. Like, all right, it's time to fight. Correct. Once yep. that happens. Yep. Uh, but Ashitaka defeats this demon, you know, rides by and launches an arrow into its both of its eyes, but not after not until after he is touched by the these like swirling black, you know, worm like tentacles and it wraps around his arm and and burns him. Ding 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 ding. We've said tentacle. Tentacle Finally. It's Japanese. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> we're here dean all these jokes all these years we're finally in a movie that has it 
and I'm not going to touch it. Take that. I defy <laughs> expectations, Matthew. That's right. You do the Googling of schoolgirls and tentacles on your own. We're not going <laughs> to feed you this. Legend of Overlord Fiend, I think it's called, or something like that. <laughs> but um, uh, we also established that uh, this thing touching him is really the incident that propels this character into his adventure, into his odyssey. Indeed. Because at first, you know, we don't even realize what this thing is until it's defeated and we realize it's this giant boar. And what a message this boar gives as well, that you will all feel my suffering. You will know my hate. This is after the village elder is like, please bear us no hatred. (laughs) Please, uh, we respect your your death and we, we, we honor you. He's like, fuck you. (laughs) <laughs> not, not interested. Disgusting, disgusting little creatures. Soon you will all know my hate. I believe Oof. something like that. Not and uh, his good. dying words. Uh, and uh, you know, this is also the beginning of the underpinnings of this particular story, which I also find fascinating. And that's something we didn't really talk about. And um, I really like this. Um, the wise woman is essentially saying, you know. It, you know, it's a boar god. It has been corrupted by this ball of iron. Indeed. Something we've never really seen before. And and I love the way she describes it too, of saying like it, it crushed his bones. It sunk into him and burned him. Like describing it in a way of like, this is something our weapons can't do. Like, mm-hmm. This is a, a new kind of pain, a new kind of suffering. Right. And it corrupted it. It corrupted him to the point it made him, it, like that's one thing I actually remember the, the first time I watched this movie, I didn't quite understand. I was like, wait, so he... Got it. It was like a bullet that made him a demon, but no, it's the suffering itself that made him so hateful that it transformed him into a demon. But I think we should linger on that point for just a minute because this is the part of the uh, story that is interesting because it's metaphorical, and that's it's not the demon, it's not the it's not the ball of iron per se, but it is in that it represents progress of man. Indeed, yeah, and 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 that is what brings about the hatred of man that this that this forest spirit this boar has which then opens it up to corruption of the demon and that's really cool that's a really cool story element to me which is it it seems if you watch this and you're not thinking about it in terms of what is the underpinning what is the metaphorical story about about um progress and what that means to nature and man's battle with nature just inherently and that's this Oh, it's really dumb. It's a bullet and made him a fucking demon. Yeah, that's kind of cool if you think about it that way because oh, I, yeah. it, it represents this idea that this small little bullet is this tiny little representation of what progress means to the ancient spirits of the forest. How that's going to be the their eventual end. Correct. And, um, or at least a, a giant calling of them, which which gets back to the cyclical nature of of things sort of going, you know, going through a cycle again by the end of the movie, but we don't want to get too crazy. Uh, but, but we learn that, that not only does, does he have to venture out and learn about this and perhaps figure out a cure and, and learn what's going on. We learn that this group of people have been hidden for a long time. They're thought wiped out um, 500 years. They're at odds with the emperor. So it's almost like they're this society that has survived being uh, slain by this, this emperor and they've carved out this piece of life for them. And the last thing they want to do is be at odds with the, with the wilderness as well, with the forest spirits, because now they'll have nowhere to go. And, um, and we learn that they are, uh, they are kind of a dying people. They've, they've been isolated from 
the main land, so to speak, the main kingdom or uh, whatever you want to call it, dynasty, whatever it is for, for a long time. And as a result of that, their numbers are kind of starting to dwindle. And you know, one of the interesting thing is this is actually based on some reality. Like the Amishi sure. is an actual ancient tribe in Japan and they have pretty much become uh, a minority. Like they've been, they've been, you know, pretty marginalized over the years. I think uh, Yamato, I have this not 100% correct, but the Yamato tribe has was the one that essentially incorporated some of the other tribes, the Yayoi, I think is the way you say it, and Jomon. Those kind of combined together and expanded to be essentially the major populace of Japan, even as it is today. Mm. Um, and the Amishi are actually a tribe that kind of started to die out, basically. Yeah. Um, and so this is this is based in some reality. And, and honestly, I feel like that's a, this is kind of a good time to talk about the setting of the story, I think is one of the most interesting elements of this entire movie. Like, it's very obviously a fantasy setting, um, and it's very obviously set, you know, in the past. But what I what I think is so interesting about where Miyazaki chose to kind of, like, position this in time, because it's definitely not, a, you know, a real, actual, historical time sure. attached to a year. It's very fantastical. But this is kind of this interesting moment where it's ancient enough to see humans almost equivalent to animals, like they are still fighting for supremacy. Like humans have not become the supreme species on the earth yet. Like Mm -hmm. we're still fighting animals, you know, we're fighting them as tribes. They're the boar tribe versus the human tribe. We're still trying to assert ourselves. So like human, human dominance has not been quite established yet. But on the same time, we are starting to see the path opening up that human dominance is what is going to come. Like it's kind of in this middle place of humans aren't in charge yet, but it's starting to go, it's starting to tip that way. The balance is moving toward human civilization versus the ancient one of animals. Right, which is why the bullet represents the the hatred that has exactly. created this entire problem, um, which mm-hmm. has caused our guy to get marked, which we learn is fatal. Fatal. His arm has this deep, dark, you know, it almost looks like a jellyfish sting. It's like this black sting that wraps around his arm. And, you know, he's told by his village elder that it's just going to grow and eventually it's going to consume your soul and then you're mm-hmm. going to die. And that's it. Absolutely. Um, we have uh, next, we have uh, him kind of venturing out. He comes across this village being attacked and then he ends up meeting uh, the Billy Bob Thorne character, G- Gigo. Indeed, Chico. Chico. So why don't we talk about that? Dude, oh my gosh. The, the fucking village attack. This was a scene I'd forgotten it's about. Great. How how casually brutal the violence is here. Like, just people running around in the background. He's like, oh, a battle. And you see, you know, a woman running away as, a, as her husband obviously turns back trying to defend her and just gets his arm chopped off and then just stabbed to death on the ground. Like, fuck. <laughs> Man, it sure sucked to live in the past. The past kind of blew. Yeah, yeah, and it's... It's funny, it's, it's this third element, which is, you wouldn't say a major part of the story, but it kind of is, but you have the, the, you have the battle between the forests and man, but the, the battle between forests and man focuses less on the emperor's men and more on Eboshi, Lady Eboshi. These guys mm-hmm. are just sort of here as well because they flesh out the, the background. They flesh out the, they, they, they give... They give more of an, a backstory to Lady Eboshi, knowing the emperor's out there, knowing she's at odds with the emperor. I think that matters. But this is right. some of that fluid action we talked about. Some of these arrow decapitations, again, the reluctance of, of Ashitaka to fight, and um, how just how awesome this animation is. This uh, Oh, yeah. I the, mean, that, the, that the, perspective, the speed you know. in their f- ferocity. 
of when he fires that arrow across. I love it. They're riding, you know, parallel and there's a field between them and they're firing arrows at each other. And it's just such a cool way to do it. You follow, you track that arrow. Exactly. And that's, again, that's like the power of the animation. Like this is something you can't really achieve with the fluidity that you can here. Like that shot of the two, you know, samurai, the roving samurai that are attacking everyone uh, off in the distance, riding their horses. And he, he begs them, don't fire. I'm just trying to pass through. And it's quiet for a second. And then you hear that little, and then shoom, the arrow just comes like right past the camera. And he has to like move his head to not get hit by it. Absolutely. Uh, it the sound design is just so fucking good. Yeah, it, um, it really is. But as far as the story note goes too, I think what's interesting about this as well is that he, this is like the human infighting. Like we're seeing the the local like samurai warlord, you know, fighting for dominance among humanity. Uh, that's happening at the same time as humanity is kind of pushing up against the boundaries of nature, and nature's fighting back. Like we're seeing multiple conflicts, you know, unfolding. Sure, you're you're always going to get the situation where. If if you're a human and you can't fight the humans, then maybe you push into the wilderness a little bit and take your chances there. Um, but in this fantasy setting, we see that there is great power within the woods. Um, they aren't just sort of dumb animals. And that's one of the things I really loved about the setting of this, um, which we'll, we'll probably talk about at length when we get to actually get into the Forbidden Forest. And that's the the intelligence uh, of, of the beasts. I think that's very interesting. I think that that rep, I think that's represented in the, the forest spirit. You know, I forget his name, but um, I know he actually has a name. I think he has the spirit of the forest, spirit of the forest, but, um, but his, you know, his passing, what does that mean for animals in the future? You, you hear this throughout the movie. Like, are we going to become dumb beasts again? Which means we lack the cunning and the intelligence that like they have the faculty of man, basically, um, right, which I think is fascinating about this this decision, and even that's that, that very consciousness is on the line. You get the impression, um, yeah, that's which a good I point. like, right? So that's that's almost like this represents this sort of romanticized version of you know these forest spirits, very like Irish, so to speak, and then like the the coming of technology and the encroachment of man and what it does to that does it does it erase their consciousness and just make them sort of mindless for lack of better terms animals that can yeah. be easily held dominion over you know right right ah Jigo good shit so Jigo bails him out because you know he's got this whole gold thing it doesn't really matter what does matter is he meets Jigo and um, Chigo starts to be friendly to him right away, of course, as voiced by Billy Bob Thornton in the uh, English dub. <laughs> so good. Uh, and by the way, some of the some of the casting notes here, Billy Crudup as Ashitaka, Billy Bob Thornton mm-hmm. as Jigo, Minnie Driver as Lady Eboshi, John DiMaggio as Gunza, Claire Danes as San, John DeMita yeah. as Kuroku, and Jada Pinkett Smith as Toki. And of course- yeah. Okay, got two more strong ones. Jillian fucking Anderson, Scully herself Fuck as yeah. Moro, and Keith David as Akoto, and of course the narrator. Hell yeah. Oh, so good. It's yeah. such a great cast. It's cool. Yeah, I like it. Um, and a lot of times, you know, a good friend of mine that I used to live with, this guy, Chris, he got me into appreciating the 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 um the subtitles a lot. Yeah. Um, but I was I was more than happy to sort of put that aside for this one. <laughs> Yeah, this was this was also kind of you know outside of the movie. Like this was the first Studio Ghibli movie that was widely distributed outside of America, and, and that's pretty much because Disney picked it up through Miramax and distributed it. And 
to to their credit, they took it very seriously. They were like, we want this to kind of be a big premiere for both Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki and just Japanese animation in the West in general. So they were like, no, we're not just going to do a regular like voiceover cast that, you know, people who do dubs all the time is like, we're going to go with like A-list actor cast. We want to make this a big push. Um, and I think that's what helped really put Studio Ghibli on the map in America, really, mm. was this movie with this cast. Awesome. And also, I don't know if you read about it, uh, Neil Gaiman is actually the person who finalized the American English uh, script for I the did, movie. I actually did read that. Yeah. yeah. He didn't directly translate it, but he's what made it, you know, made all the, the, the aphorisms they use and everything that actually make sense to like an English-speaking audience and like, you know, kept the, the, the spirit of the original script. I've read uh, Neverwhere and American Gods by him. Both, both kick ass, man. I still haven't read any Gaiman. Yeah. Suck. Yeah, American you can read Gods Sandman is, Chronicles. And American American Gods is wild, but um, I think I like Neverwhere better. It's more mm. like dark fantasy. I mean, they're both pretty fantastical. Obviously, one's. I also want to read his North, Norse mythology book. I've heard that's really good. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, so let's talk about Jigo and this 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 meeting. This is very this uh, this is very adventure tale. This is very much an odyssey, which is this idea of coming across a stranger and. Um, him talking to you and, and sort of leaving these nuggets of knowledge on you. And, um, and it's such an interesting setup for Jigo because we learn later he's this sort of profiteering guy who, who ends up at odds with Ashitaka. But here they're, they have this respect. They have this mutual understanding. They have this discussion. They say, let's get out of here. We don't get our throats cut because they're going to want that gold. And, <laughs> and that's when they sit down and, and you know, Ashitaka reflects on, I, I should have attacked those villagers. And Jigo's like, please. What, what, what are you talking about? He's like, that's life. This, this is, that's, that's what happened. They were thugs. Samurai thugs. You win some, you lose some. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this is a nice little summation of his philosophy. He's like, eh, people die. Somebody's got to die all the time. Everybody does. <laughs> it's right. Fine. And, it's a perf- and it's the perfect representation of why he just simply surrenders in the end. Right. Right. right? It's He's- cool. He's not fighting for some big principle. It's pretty much just self-interest. And he's like, ah, if this isn't going to work out, I'm going to die for it, then fuck it. Yeah, it's not, I'm not willing to die. I mean, obviously he was surrounded by a giant, you know, ghost spirit, a god spirit. So there's that too. But, <laughs> there's that. But yeah, he just kind of says, eh, I'll surrender. It's fine. Um, <laughs> obviously we're jumping the lead on that. It doesn't matter. So yeah, and he just says, like he says, there are ghosts all around us, dead from war, sickness, starvation, nobody cares, right? He's, the whole world mm-hmm. is a goddamn mess. And, um, and and it's funny because Ashitaka really, he's focusing on the men he killed who were obviously bad. They were conducting, they were doing- Just raiding a village and killing everyone. Killing villagers and shit. (laughs) It's not like, you know, regardless of how you want to uh, rationalize what they were doing, it's not like Ashitaka did anything truly horrible. Right, right. And I I really like- um, (laughs) <laughs> this moment where he he kind of betrays what he's really after without saying it, where he's like, you know, I've heard tell that the emperor is going to offer a hill of gold to anyone who can help him live forever. Mm. You know, in a funny way, kind of the opposite of his own philosophy. He's like, I'm going to exploit his total fear of death and, and mortality, and I'm going to fucking get rich off of it. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's, that at the end of the day is Jigo's stakes in this whole thing, right? Indeed. He... He's less concerned with this, uh, with this more epic struggle between man and nature, because he's he's more pragmatic, right? Yeah, he's exactly. more pragmatic. He's like, how can I profit in a very tough, 
I guess, pseudo 10th century Japan. How am I going to survive? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Got to find a way to get by. I mean, people are out here just getting chopped up by samurais and riding by. <laughs> right. It's a rough place. Right. I don't want to be out there scooping up rice and take a nodachi in the face. I'm some <laughs> asshole on a horse, you know? <laughs> For my bag of rice, I got my head chopped off. Jesus. The fucking top of my head flies off and my brain drops out when I tumble over. I definitely don't want that to happen. So how can I insulate myself from murder by samurai? I think I'm going to get enough gold to hire a bunch of my own samurai. That sounds nice. I like that too. The movie doesn't sit on like, oh, the honorable samurai. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't try. Right. It's just like, yeah, we're everybody. Yeah, they're every, just out there. They're existing pe- just like everybody else. People are pieces of shit in all walks of life, including the samurai. <laughs> <laughs> Miyazaki, all people are pieces of shit. <laughs> That's my summary of his entire film philosophy. <laughs> I can really know how to... I really know how to build a man up. I should be. Uh, I should write your uh, your ad copy for sure. <laughs> but it's Chico here who actually tells him once he you know Ashitaka shows him the ball of iron. He's like, "Have you ever seen anything like this before?" And at first he says no, but then he tells him, "Yes, there's a place in the West that actually is you know a, producing things like this. You know, mechanical mechanical world. Go seek it out if you want answers." Yep, he sends him into the woods. And Ashitaka goes into the woods and uh, he, his journey continues. And that's when, after departing Jigo, we have uh, a couple things happen. He comes across uh, Eboshi's caravan and he encounters San, the survivors, and then the uh, little four spirits. And uh, I want to just kind of talk about this chunk of the movie here. Hell yeah. Dude, this sequence. So the first time we see San and the wolves, Oh, the shit is badass. Yeah. Because, I mean, we are, I think it's such a great introduction to Lady Eboshi, to San, because we, they are in the middle of their conflict. Like, this is what they do. They found, you know, Lady Eboshi in a sort of vulnerable spot, and they are going to fucking attack. In, 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 in this setup, I love, I love, uh, there's a moment here where I'm looking at the animation, the way this this moment is drawn, and them going up the mountain the fog, this this rain rolling in, the shot of the oxen carrying the rice. And I said, I want to watch this whole movie. Whatever this is, <laughs> I want this whole movie. Hell yeah. Like you could oh, do a I whole movie that. on Eboshi. Yeah. Oh, she's great. Very, very and, interesting character. And it's, it's such a great shift from scenery too. We've been seeing sure. you know, lots, of, lots sure. of greenery. You know, we saw a village, but it's still very much like in the heart of nature. And then once we see a Boshi, it is on this blasted hillside. All the trees are just blackened, burned stumps, and it's in the rain and the mud. Uh, and we see her and her men marching along, and she is just undauntedly knowing that, yes, Moro, the wolf god, is going to be after us, and we're going to be ready. We're always, we are constantly on the alert for attack. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to piggyback and, and sort of riff on that a little bit because what you're saying here is cool. I like the idea of Lady Eboshi. I like the idea of the scenery changing, and I like that the scenery represents her. Yeah. She's yeah. like a blight on nature, right? She is. So it's it's fitting that we're introduced to her in this way right in this moment. Uh, these, these rifles and, uh, you know, all of the technology they have at their disposal. But, yes, we see the the fundamental struggle playing out physically here and boy do these wolves run rough shot on these guys they're in a Not really like vulnerable position side winding up and um this is what this animals uh, the, the 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 madness that can ensue as a result of what you can do with animation in this type of setting is just terrific 
oh man, this narrow little pass and, and just all these oxen and these men on the edge of it. Dude, and it, it's so great too. Even we're as the audience, we're kind of in the same position as the other men there and not Iboshi. And it kind of, we sure. start to realize how, how well Iboshi understands the situation because we see San and these two gigantic wolves and we're like, just like the men there, whoa, those are some massive fucking wolves. Holy they're, shit, they're- they must be. Yeah, they must be dangerous. We got to look out for them. And they are making these runs at them, but they're not really being too aggressive. And even, you know, I think it's Gonzo who's like, well, they're not so big. And Aboshi's like, yeah, those are just the pups. Wait till you see the mom. That's not even the threat. (laughs) Don't even, don't even sweat that shit. Wait till you see that fucking 25 foot tall wolf. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, that's exactly what happens. That there, you know, San came kind of running in to draw some fire. And then down comes Moro. And dude, when she starts plowing through the whole trail of them, just knocking. Whole oxen and wagons off of the cliff. That's cool. Shit. It's just a level of intensity. It's just so epic. It's so, it's biblical. It's very, it's very Norse. You know, giant wolves just plowing through men that they dwarf. It's just so cool. That's, I love it, man. I, 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 (laughs) nature's wild and it's cool to see it in this fantastical setting. It's just neat. Oh yeah. And Oboshi too, just her unflinching nature where she's like, wait, wait for it, wait for it. Let's, you know, Moro get really close and actually blasts it and hits her with a bullet. And then, you know, Gonza knocks it over the cliff with like a, sort of a flamethrower and he's like celebrating. He's like, oh, we got it. And she, she's the one who actually takes note. No, you forget she's a God. It will Indeed. take a lot more than that. Indeed. She's just so undaunted though. That, that's, yeah. the, that's the interesting thing about the wolves versus Eboshi. They are equally just unflinching and convinced you know, in their purpose. And in relentless. Exactly. Both utterly relentless. And uh, this, is, this is the beginning. Uh, it's cool that we see this. This is the audience's perspective. This is not Ashitaka witnessing this. He sees like the wolves for a second, but he doesn't see the conflict, I imagine. We never really see him looking. No, not at, not at the actual wolf attack. He's, he finds, you know, once he's down in the river, he finds the injured Irontown men, some of Eboshi's men, and then he sees Moro and San on the other side of the river. Right, right. And uh, yeah, I think one of the survivors' name is uh, Kuroku. 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 But yeah, <laughs> he, he, he sees the aftermath uh, and the effects on both, right? Yes, that's a great point. Yeah, he's kind of seeing how everyone is wounded by this. Right, exactly. And this is uh, this is a probably a turning point for him because it's not so obvious as to what we 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 don't know what he's going to do. We know that he's been cursed and he's going to go into the woods, and now we're like, oh, who's he? He's he's helping these poor men that just got shredded, and now he's <laughs> like, oh, but now he sees the effects on her as well, and he just I love that he just sort of announces himself <laughs> oh yeah yeah are you the gods of the forest am i have i finally reached the forbidden forest realm yeah and they you know they just turn away from him and sounds like go away and <laughs> that's mm-hmm. it they don't give a shit about humans but dude also what a you know this is the first time we see sans face and what a moment of her cool. sucking blood out of moro's wound and just spitting it just so undaunted yeah pretty hardcore Hardcore bitch. Uh, I, I missed this the first time I watched it, but as they as they just trail off one of that last wolf, the last wolf is dragging like an ox with it. An ox, yeah. They need some food. <laughs> just dragging it through the goddamn forest. Strong so shit. <laughs> when your wolves are as big as oxes, you have problems. That is that is gnarly. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, this is where we we come across these uh, these little spirit things, right? The Kodamas, yeah. yeah. I love these little fucking guys. <laughs> they're, they're they're little clicky heads and they're little cutie tushes. Yeah, <laughs> so and fucking weird. It's cool that they're just sort of observing, and mm-hmm. they're they're an interesting. You know, it's the 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 Kodama are interesting because you're not sure what's going on with them because we know that nature is at odds with man. That's one of the fundamental struggles of the movie. But yeah. it's less black and white than that. And and you talked about some of the some of the gradients of the characters themselves, especially Ashitaka. Right. But also dude, yeah, I mean I think there's a, a real gradient in the this movie's view of nature in general. Like Absolutely. I would all, as much as it is about the nature of, you know, uh, or about the conflict between man and nature and and you know us corrupting and destroying nature, maybe abusing it. I think it also doesn't just you know paint this like completely beautiful picture of nature. It, it doesn't Absolutely. it doesn't moralize nature. It is very much like nature is is here. It is it is everything. It is its own entity and it it, it does as it will and it doesn't really care about its effects. Like it, it just it is living, it is breathing, it is it's out there. Like it doesn't make nature kind either. It's just kind of, it just is. It is. Correct. It's just raw. Yeah. And that's what I that's that's what I like about the whole movie is it doesn't moralize really at all. Um, outside of Ashitaka suggesting that you're both headed for oblivion with your anger towards each other. Um, that's, right. that's about the extent of it, but that's the, the thrust of the, of the movie, which is him yeah. sort of getting involved in this. But, um, right. And honestly, I think that kind of gets at sort of, uh, I've talked about it a little bit before on other movies that get deep into nature. Uh, but I think that's a good, divide between east and west as well of like our view of of nature being you know a lot i feel like even people who you know your your typical stereotypical like tree hugger hippie here in america they have a sort of romantic view of nature they 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 i would argue they make it a little more than it is and 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 they've never experienced it that's the problem right like they kind of make it some benevolent thing where i'm like nature's not benevolent and it's not evil it just is is. and and it's also very raw and it will kill you like it it is i feel like there's a little more of like respect for the power of nature Mm -hmm. here of like it's yeah it it is a beautiful and amazing thing but you kind of have to to fear it in a way and respect it yeah it 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 is it, it is in a sense kind of like humanity and this is the thing i talk about all the time which is you know that's it's it's beautiful and terrible all at once, right? It's uh, sublime. <laughs> yeah, it's it's beautiful and terrible all at once, and, and odd. <laughs> you know, it's uh, because you see, um, you see, you see it. Uh, it's it's many different effects, but yeah, there is definitely a. It, there's definitely a, it is just is, and that boy, that's very Eastern. <laughs> exactly. Philosophically, it's like it is. It isn't good or bad. It just simply exists. It is um, right, and I love that. I love applying that to many things. You know, we and that's because a lot of times we do try to moralize things, and it just is what it is. It's not. It isn't really evil. It really isn't good. It just sort of exists, and you could admire the purity of that. Hmm. Exactly. 
And that, that's also what I like about these little Kodamas. Like at first, you know, we see the reaction from the injured man from Irontown. who's like, oh God, like look out for them. I think this is a bad sign. Uh, but, you know, Ashitaka knows more about them. And he even says they're, they're a sign of a healthy forest. If, if there's a population Indeed. of them here, that means the forest is rich and strong and that's good. Like, and they don't do anything to them. They sort of lead them on towards the, the more magical part of the forest, but they don't really purposefully guide them or interfere with anything. They're, like we said, they just are. <laughs> they just live here. Yep. So, of course, we are going to go to Irontown. And this yeah. is a pretty uh, pretty big sequence of the movie. There's a lot that happens during Ashi uh, Taka's stay here, which is very lengthy. It He stays right up until San attacks the village, and then he leaves and heads into the woods. That's so it. this is a big chunk of time that we can discuss because this is cool. This is a moment when Ashitaka learns about Lady Eboshi. She learns about Irontown. She learns about what this place is and what it represents and what she's done here. And then it culminates into him exiting this place and going off into the wilderness with an injured sin. And he's devastatingly injured himself, actually. Right. So and it, let's talk about this chunk of the movie because this is, this is just excellent. Yeah, I mean, dude, just the visual of Iron Town is yeah. so stark from everything else. This massive smoking fortress that has, you know, covered in spikes, and you just you see that, and you're like, boy, this thing is this thing has been fighting and is still in the middle of a fight. Like uh, this place is is built with defenses everywhere, mm-hmm. and it's just massive and teeming with people, and you know, it's the only place we've seen this much smoke and like industrial activity, and it's such a contrast from what we see in the forests because there are no stockades there are no frontiers there's nothing there's no defenses it just sort of exists and then you are attacked from from the invisible <laughs> you know it's a, it's a very different it it shows the difference between the likes of man and the likes of nature which is we've constructed this fortification and spikes and it's uninviting and it's dark and it's smoky and there's fire and we have industry, so to speak. Right. Right. It's this, right. it's this constant battle. It's, it reminds me of um, Lord of the Rings, this idea of the world will burn in the fires of industry. Right. That great uh, quote, indeed. which is the, the orcs chopping down the trees and pissing off the, the, you know, the, the tree, the tree beards and stuff like tree beard and, and his ilk. The ints. <laughs> Thank you. And um, yeah, it's, it's cool. It's uh, in, in, I like that. I like that we see the ingenuity, the, the very conscious decision to go, okay, we keep being attacked. We need to figure something out. Whereas despite the advanced intellect of these animals as compared to animals in real life, um, they don't bother with that. They just sort of keep themselves moving. They, they have their own way about going doing their thing. Indeed. Well, this is where we also learn about their war with the boar tribe. Yes. They were trying to to get at the iron sand underneath a, a mountain. Um, and they were actually like, I, I think, dynamiting it and starting to blow things up. Yes. And that, that's when we hear about Nago, the, the, the leader of the boars here. They tried to clear away the forest and get at this, this iron ore and that's when it essentially kicked off a full-blown conflict with the or with the boars uh and became this war yes and this is essentially where ashitaka learns that nago is the one he slayed the one that became a demon and cursed him right yep 
Absolutely. And some obviously notable characters here. We also meet uh, Gonza, uh, the right-hand man. Yep, the right-hand man, basically. Uh, We meet Toki as well. She's like sort of the comic relief, but but she's more than that. And uh, of course, we're going to meet the, the the leper who speaks some some great wisdom in this sequence. But yeah, there's yeah. a lot going on here. We learn about the war, like you said, which was essentially Eboshi encroaching upon the Boar territory, right. which kicked off. And they the were war. saying without Eboshi, they they were trying to get the ore, and they were being attacked so much. And Eboshi is the one who rolled in with her riflemen. She brought the technology of rifles, and that turned the the you know, the war in favor of the humans. She did. Not only that, but one of the things that's interesting about Lady Eboshi. Because at the outset, you go, oh, he gets here. He's not too fond of her, right? Right. He, he, he's, not, he's not a fan of Lady Eboshi. Yeah, because he, you think he's a defender of nature. He's from a small tribe. He's from these, these people who live out in the forest, in the, in the middle of it. And this is the woman who's burning it all down. His, his the most wise person in his Amishi village also told him, hey, listen, <laughs> this ball of iron— is is why we have a demon. <laughs> right. <laughs> and now he's standing before the person who's responsible for the ball of iron and that created the demon, which has infected him fatally as far as he can tell. And yeah. he doesn't freak out. He doesn't moralize. He doesn't yell and scream. He doesn't challenge her to a duel. Instead, he embraces her hospitality for returning the men and he th- listens to her tale and he embraces their way of life to learn something, to learn a little bit more about them. And that's what I was talking about at the top, this idea of respect, despite the fact that you came in here not thinking you were going to end up at times helping this woman. Quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. You're going you're gonna to come at odds with this woman very deeply, big time. Yet here we are having this honorable discussion. This is very... Very cool to me. I like this kind of storytelling right here. Right. And I think I, what's cool about it too is that I think it, Lady Eboshi recognizes it as well because at the point where he shows her the mark on his arm and that he's cursed that the iron ball produced from your, you know, your, you know, works here killed the the boar, which has now marked me for death. And this is that's why I'm here. And she's like, well, so what are you here to learn more of though? And he just says to see with eyes unclouded by hate. Correct. And she laughs at that. She's like, uh, okay. But then she's like, you know what? Yeah, here, let me show you all my secrets. And she's kind of joking, but she's serious. Like, I think she realizes that he is not here on some like quest for vengeance or quest to, you know, to, he's not taking a side yet. Like, he's just, I want to learn what's going on. Why is this? What has happened? What has made this thing that resulted in transforming something ancient and pure into a demon? Yes. Um, what's the quote again? The, the hate quote? Or he said, I want to see with eyes unclouded by hate. Correct. That is a great quote. It's the premise for his entire being. Right. Right? You never get the impression Ashitaka hates anybody. No, definitely not. And and what is propelling Eboshi into her war with nature is their mutual hatred for one another. 
<laughs> well, I think that, and also, I mean, just very much so as as she really starts to go and show him around all of the, the people who work for her at Irontown, that she, in her point of view, is just standing up for these people and giving them industry, giving them work, giving them security and a place to, to live. And, the, and a lot of these people are outcasts, former prostitutes from brothels, lepers. Like, these are people who didn't have a decent place in the world before now, and they finally have this secure place to live safely and raise a family and make money this and this is the rub right this is the this is the first big wrinkle in in ashitaka and this is what makes him you know obviously he goes there with the open mind he goes there without eyes clouded by hate as he said and he's starting to learn something about these people he's starting to go oh okay they have their own story they have their own motivation i understand it and this is really the beginning of this in, in, is, uh, of the inexorable push towards what you stated at the beginning of the podcast, which was this inherent conflict, right? Which gets into the entire Eastern philosophy of it just is, <laughs> right? Yes, Indeed. yes, Lady Aboshi's attitude towards the gods of the woods, you would say, is not favorable, but the fact that she's positioned herself in a way to be up against it is just what it is right right she She gotta provide for her people she didn't wake up one day and go i want to i want to uh, dominate nature and cause suffering there she had a life all of the gods because i hate them she had a life and her life put her on this path which just is and it's hard to morally judge it really right um You could, and, and that's why it's, you know, San will never have the perspective that Ashitaka does about Iboshi, which is interesting. However, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's cool to see that play out. It's cool to see the way that conflict goes in. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and this is one of the moments where Ashitaka does kind of push her a little more when, when she brings him into her like secret garden yes. and her workshop where she has all the lepers and has employed them to help design new and better rifles, better, better weaponry to, to better conquer the forest and win this war and secure these resources for Irontown. You know, he just immediately takes that as, well, you're just pumping out more hatred and pain into the world. Correct. Like, hasn't there been enough? Um, and, a valid question. Yeah, it is a valid question. But she pretty much goes on to say that, no, I mean, he should have put a curse on me. I'm sorry you've suffered. I didn't want any of that. You know, what we produce here is essentially what they need. Like, this is, you know, that's another interesting thing about how this movie kind of positions humanity in nature, too. Because, like, like we were saying, like, this is a time before humans as a species were the dominant species and well what did humans have to to do especially in this world to compete against oh i don't know 25 foot tall boars 40 foot long fucking wolves (laughs) you know what we have to do we don't have claws or big long teeth we have to make weapons we have to invent a way to have a you know to to balance that difference in force and so frail bodies that's what we have yeah, yeah, our shitty fucking sponge bodies that just get obliterated when these wolves plow past <laughs> us. Are you kidding me? So I'm like, there's a, there's, I feel like there's an argument to make from her as well of like, well, she's advancing our pl- our place as a species right now. Of like, well, of course we'll be dominated by the boars forever. Look at them. If it's a, if it's literally a body to body battle, we're gonna lose every time. This is the only way humans can assert themselves. Right, right. It's true. It, you you would say that she probably didn't set out 
to be some liberator of man, but perhaps no, definitely not. Right, but, but perhaps they're uh, one of the byproducts is this here. But yeah, you know, he he is right. The the suffering and the pain and in in you know there there is an argument to say there there you you might be able to peg Lady Eboshi a little bit as being a bit of an opportunist and and stepping beyond her reach by. By going, okay, the forest is down, and let's go to the mountain, let's dig here, let's keep pushing, let's push into this territory. Um, you know what I mean? You would probably you would probably have a case there to argue she's pushing that, she's making the encroachments happen. But one of the things I love about Lady Eboshi is she doesn't want you to apologize for her. She doesn't want you to make up excuses for her. She knows the risk of what she's doing, and she's very aware of the consequences, and she seems quite accepting of the possibility of those consequences. Yeah, and that's why that's she says, "Well, he should have cursed me," and I yeah. am truly sorry. And I think she really believes that. I agree. I think she's somebody who owns her own part of the conflict. Like, yeah, that, that, you were you were a crossfire that you know is unfortunate. That shouldn't have happened. Sure, and there is a bit of moral purity in that, right? In yeah. the accepting of what you are and sort of just being what, accepting that, embracing it. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And um, and this uh, this this is all very good good dialogue here, which ends up leading to some discussion with, um, they talk about the rifles a little bit, right? We learn that they're becoming more advanced, but, um, this is where Gosa drops a little bit of knowledge on us right before the attack. Ooh. And she says, one of the lepers, pardon me, my lady, but you must not make light of the boy's strength. Young man, like you are, you know what rage feels like in grief and helplessness, but you must not take your revenge on Lady Eboshi. She's the only one who saw us as human beings. We are lepers. The world hates and fears us. She took us in and washed our rotting flesh and bandaged us. Life is suffering. It is hard. The world is cursed, but still you find reasons to keep living. I'm sorry, I'm making no sense. But <laughs> I, I like this. You know, this is... When you talk about the Odyssey, so to speak, this... You know, you see, as we've discussed about Irontown, the stark contrast in environment. That's an important part of the growth of our guy. And this movie is very clever because it always shows Eboshi in these conditions right up until the end. Yeah. Which is when you see her sitting in the overgrown area, sitting in nature, which is interesting. Perhaps finding a piece of harmony in that nature. But it's right. always industry surrounding her. Yeah. Because that is the way she is found to better herself and provide an opportunity for other people. Of like, all right, this is this is the way we have found a path forward in technology, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. But this leads to um, the uh, a pretty pivotal moment in this movie, which is San attacking, because that's going okay. to propel us to get us into nature and for her to and for and for Ashitaka to sort of have the a proper communion with nature. Um, right up until uh, Jigo comes back into the fold, and we and we meet the other boar. Indeed, and dude, once again, what a ferocious attack! It's, it's cool, so huh? fucking cool. I mean, the wolves come launching down. She launches off of the back of a wolf, throws her spear into the wall, then pulls herself up over the spear and just runs into this fortress. And she's one- lightning fast. It's lightning so fast. cool. It's incredible. It's uh, awesome. God, I love it. Great. It's just really awesome animation here. 
the way she scurries across the scurries across the rooftops and moves with such reckless abandon, quite animalistic, as it were. And, and we're so focused, yeah. So for focused. revenge. And we see Ashitaka like caught in the middle again. I like the I like the savage attacks and the great parrying by him. And you know, he he's in this position where he's like, I don't want to fight her, I'm trying to parry, and then it's all happening so fast for him because you have Lady Eboshi's men responding to this attack. And um he's like, Fuck, what are we doing? And she's going right for the billows area, right for where they do their manufacturing of their steel. Exactly. And he's, you know, at one point, Ashitaka, it's such a great shot where she's standing up on the, the building with the smoke billowing out behind her as, you know, uh, Lady Eboshi and everybody's gathering down and on the ground to aim their rifles up at her. He's calling out to her. He's calling out to San, don't throw your life away. You're outnumbered here. You'll die here. Like, he sees the, you know, essentially the pointlessness of this mission that you might achieve your one goal of killing Lady Eboshi, but you're just going to die. Like, life is more precious than that. Yeah. And uh, we see it lead to her, her ended up getting like the mask shot off, which knocks her unconscious. And then she lashes out. She slashes her guy, marks him up. And this escalates to a point that frustrates Ashitaka, which sort of activates this demon taint. Dude, that's something we haven't talked about yet. It's happened a little bit so far where his arm starts to tremble and he has this hatred from being cursed by the demon inside of him. But that actually makes him incredibly strong. And as she's dueling, having this super intense knife duel with Lady Eboshi, they're just going at each other hard. Uh, He eventually just comes over there grabs uh, Asan by the arm with his demonic arm and just grips her so hard. And we, What's so cool about this is we've established how fast, how strong and agile she is. And when he grabs her arm like that, she cannot get out it's of it. It's a vice. Just a vice grip. And he holds up his sword to block Lady Eboshi's and just has them both held, locked in. Because mm-hmm. he's, he's tired of the fighting. He's ty- He literally gets in between the conflict and halts it. Correct. It's, a, it's the perfect visual representation of his entire quest. Exactly. <laughs> Which is this representation of being between these warring factions. And, mm-hmm. uh, and him quite literally stopping them uh, with his strength. Yeah. And that's when he realizes, he, he sees the writing on the wall here. He sees, uh, I believe her name is Keo, uh, uh, you know, the, the, one of the women in the village. And um, he's like, okay, I'm taking her out of here because if not, she's, she's going to get killed. No question about it. Yep. <laughs> knocks out Lady Eboshi, knocks out San, and then just has them take Eboshi away from him. Take her away. But they are, you know, the, the village is like, what are you talking about? Sans our sworn enemy. She's she's killed multiple husbands. She's attacked us over and over. Her wolves are, you know, the fucking demons that haunt us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't want him to leave. And they end up actually shooting him in the back. Accidentally, I think, too. It is accidentally. Like, they're upset and they're pointing a gun at him. But she doesn't want to actually fire one of the, the women who fires at him. But he takes Keo a fucking bullet straight through his back. Yeah. Keel blasts him and he just sort of pauses, but then he keeps moving. And um, yeah, he walks past, of course, uh, Gonza, whose sword he bent earlier. And um, he does this great feat of strength where he just pushes the door. The, 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 door, the door guard makes one final attempt and he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm going. And <laughs> um, 
And I'll, see, that's what's so cool about Ashitaka too. Without him having to argue for himself, he he proves himself through actions. Like even the, with the door guards when they're trying to stop him, they're whispering to him. They say, "We really appreciate how you helped us and brought those of those course. men back. You of know, we, we we thank you for that. Don't make us hurt you." Like he he is just through his own like principles and his own actions. Like he's pretty inarguably a good person, and all people on all sides can see that. Even when he's pissing them off by taking away their sworn enemy that they want to kill. They they don't stop him. And then, like you said, I mean, he's bleeding all over the place, but he still pushes open this door that they he is told that only 10 men at a time could open. Right. Absolutely. And it's and it's that very point where we start to learn, Matt, that it's there's there could possibly be hope here. <laughs> the fact that they let him walk and they just are all kind of dumbfounded. And there's this kind of establishing moment where we see all their faces looking just kind of dumb. <laughs> and we go, maybe there's something to be learned here. Maybe it's the beginning of a possible, you know, uh, future that involves a lot less bloodshed between the two. Right. Because that's such, such a cool moment, too, when the two young wolves run up to the door and he just tells them, I have your princess. She's safe and I'll bring her to you. Like he just walks between the two sides and they listen. They listen. And this begins his trek into the woods. Um, so there's going to be a lot going on here. Him talking to Son, uh, kind of getting to know her a little bit, witnessing um, the spirit of the forest at night, that transformation, uh, oh, so and cool. then back to the day, and then to the corrupted boar who's in, in tough shape, and uh, on to morning where they talk some more, which eventually is going to lead to this conflict with the boars and everything else, which almost gets us close to starting to propel us into the third act. Um, but yeah, uh, it's hilarious when he falls off of, uh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Very cool creature, by the way. I love the red elk. I love it. It's awesome. Super yeah. loyal, super fast. Great on that rugged terrain. Could definitely yeah. have a horse cause you're going up mountains and shit. Exactly. That's what's so cool about it. Like it, it's an elk, so it can like traverse a fucking cliffside pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we see that later in the movie as he, as he rides against them. But I like this moment where he tumbles off and the wolf just grabs his fucking head. Do you want me to crunch it? And he's just like, I got this bitch. What do you want me to do? What are we doing? <laughs> so gnarly. Almost testing his metal. Like, you know, that's one thing about nature is that you will be tested and you will survive or die. And that's beneficial for nature in the long run. Right. You can't, have, you can't be weak in nature. It doesn't work. Not out in the raw. No, sir. But um, yeah, I like this. I like that when he gets out there, stop it, stop it. She's like, <laughs> his own people <laughs> shot him. Leave him alone. He's dying. And, um, and of course, she's only, she even whips out his sword and pulls it to his neck. She's mm-hmm. like, I should kill you for stopping me from killing her. Like that was my whole mission. Uh, but he, he's like, you're beautiful. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the adorable. first time she's like, oh, a human being did or said something that wasn't total shit to me. Right. And uh, it should be noted, too, uh, that she also says that woman is evil and there's no yeah. one who can stop me from killing her. She yeah, makes that so. uh, very painfully clear. Exactly. Her her side is laid out pretty clearly. That's right. where I'm at. Right. But I like the your beautiful moment. It's disarming. It's unexpected. And, exactly. Um, it's at this point where, just like we see human conflict, we see conflict in the forest as well. 
Indeed, I love that. Me I love too. that there is that. That's another kind of equality of nature in this movie that like nature is conflicted as well and nature has to assert and fight and and fight for dominance and resources just like people like we love to think of ourselves as something else that we are not also animals (laughs) that we are not if you evolved from animals (laughs) and still are and and i like the point of view of like yeah there are the internal conflicts that they're dealing with all the time as well the ape tribe the fucking hilarious ass weird ass ape tribe we want to eat the human yeah. To gain his strength. Some cannibalistic shit, man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they get basically threatened. The wolf's like, we'll go tear your faces right off. Not a problem. We can do that. <laughs> I love that even 40 of these, like, big-ass apes, once the wolves, like, you know, get their hackles raised and they're, like, really growled out of the apes, are just like, whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> just fucking, like, they know they're no fucking real threat. It's that, it has that uh, Warner Brothers... The smoke the shape of them in smoke and like a stop sign spinning on the pavement <laughs> see you later but what what's interesting about the apes here too is that they have already kind of chosen the more nihilistic path too of who cares Correct. about saving the forest anymore like that the forest is gone we plant it again and they tear it up the only way that we can really save it is to kill all the humans sure yeah very human of them right <laughs> fucking apes they're our cousin uh-huh <laughs> and uh, I, I like the casual moment too it's just a little bit of brevity where the wolf's like can i eat that elk and she's like no he's like okay <laughs> i'm fuck, fucking hungry i ate that ox like three days ago do you know how many calories i burned so many i could eat five elk right now <laughs> i am 40 <laughs> right? I'm, I'm 40 awesome. feet long i'm a fucking wolf that's also carrying a fucking person all the time over hills and cliffs yeah Come hungry on. starving jesus <laughs> but um yeah, this is where they they continue moving on. We get more of the uh, what were they called? The Koduka, Koduka, Kodama, Kodama, Kodama. And she takes him, yeah, to like the 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 mystical secret part of the forest where the spirit actually dwells. This is his his territory. Yeah, and Zan's cool. probably the only human being who actually knows where that is. That's an important part of the story as well. Yep. And she sort of reveres the elk for a moment because the elk knew not to set foot on the sacred island. Yeah, I love that. She's like, oh, you are wise, huh? Pretty cool. You know better. Yep. And uh, this is where Jigo comes back into the story because apparently he has some interest in what's going on here. But boy, the introduction of the forests, uh, spirit or God, whatever the hell they call it, is right. they call it the night walker. The forest spirit turns into the night walker. Indeed. And it's funny, we have seen it once already before this, but only yes. in his elk form, which you see, you know, Ashitaka sees him at a distance uh, in the form of an elk, uh, but we didn't really get a confirmation of like what that was yet. It's just a kind of this shining golden animal that seems much larger and unique than the rest of the elk around it. But then, yeah, the, this fucking magnificently huge Nightwalker was like, I love, what I love about its depiction too, like this movie does, it's hard to tell because they did such a damn good job. It does incorporate some CG into it. Uh, most of it is hand-drawn, hand-painted, but the choices, the times they, they employ CG, I think are so well used. Um, and the, the Nightwalker is one of them, like that shimmering kind of galaxy body. That's cool. CG. And it, and it makes him you know look sort of transparent. You can almost see what looks like you know, gaseous organs floating around inside mm-hmm. of it. And, oh man, it's just such a cool looking, you know, ghostly thing. Yep. 
and yeah, also just magical. And we don't know much about what Chico's doing here, but we do know he's excited to see this thing. They have their little bear camouflage on. Right, right. And, and he he's says, been, we kind of get the sense that he's been just trying to figure out, he talked to Ashitaka about it, but he's been trying to just figure out where the secret forbidden part of the forest even is. He, you know, And he figured that out by watching the Nightwalker return to it. Indeed. And, and this is where we learn he's already been pardoned for this great crime he's going to commit against nature by the emperor who believes that the decapitation of this creature will lead to some sort of immortality for him. Indeed. It's cool. We don't really need to meet the Emperor, do we? We just, because yeah. the Jigo character we need, we need to know what's going on with him. But yeah, this clicking intensifies and this transformation, I believe we're going into dawn here, right? That's right. At dawn, he turns back into the elk. And dude, this is the one of my favorite- on grass is cool, man. One of my absolute favorite moments of animation in the entire movie. It's so incredible. And what's so incredible about it, it's, it's visually stunning. Obviously, it looks amazing. The, these flowers and, and grasses that raise up around his hoof and then die as his hoof leaves the ground. Uh, for one, I think that uh, kind of visually summarizes this movie's view on nature, that nature is life and death. It is a cycle. It is not, it is not something, you know, it, it, I feel like a Western movie has it turn into beautiful flowers and that's it. They turn to beautiful flowers, you know? And, yeah, and it's yes, like here, yes, yes. You know what I mean? It's like, yes. no, it's like they are also dying too. That is natural. <laughs> life and death together, constantly you know, turning back into each other is the way it goes. <laughs> that is this, this creature is not just purely benevolence. He is life and death. Mm, yeah. And, um, yeah, and this is this is very interesting because the forest spirit, as we know, doesn't live through the movie, but perhaps it serves the purpose of sort of becoming this teacher by way of its cycle of life, the way it came and went, and what that means for the future. Well, we can talk about that at the end. I True. always I always find that very interesting. But yeah, it's it's that's a really good point about the life and death, even under its own hoof as it were right majestic as it may be (laughs) so cool this is also the moment where we see chico spying on the boars and watching their movements and and we see that there are still tons of you know we kind of it was talked about in the past tense you know the the conflict with the boars that the iron town had had but it seems you know when we get a look at iron town kind of seems like something that happened and is done in a way but no, we realize that there are still plenty of boars and they are organizing for, to mount a massive attack. All right, let's talk about this uh, moment where Ashitaka uh, is sort of healing. San's there, Moro and the boars show up and we have this sort of discussion. But let's have a listen to the arrival of these boars because it just sounds so cool, them crunching through the forest. Ready? Hell yeah. We are here to kill the humans and save the forest. Why are there humans here, Morrow? Humans are everywhere these days. Go back to your own mountain. Kill them there. The girl is son, my daughter. We will kill them here. We will save this forest. What is that other human doing here? He was shot, and then the Great Spirit healed his wound. This man is not our enemy. The forest spirit saved him? Save the life of that loathsome runt? Why didn't he save Margot? 
I love the, so, it, the rage of that idea. Yeah. Uh, it just goes to show you that's, that's one of the things I like about this movie a lot is some of the misguided ideology of Labor, some of the misguided ideology of Iboshi even, and, uh, and, and some of these more neutral outliers. <laughs> and we see, right. like you said, we see some of the, we see some of the, the nuance here. But this idea yeah. that, the, the idea that Moro, of all people, would defend not one, but two humans in the very forest that these boars are sworn to protect mm-hmm. is a slight to them. Why didn't they yeah. save Nago? That's a, that's a great question that the boar asks. And, uh, the, and Moro has, uh, I think, a great line here, which summarizes the entirety of the movie from the spirit, from the forest perspective, which is what you alluded to earlier. The forest spirit gives life and takes life away. Life and death are his alone. Or have you boars forgotten? Mm-hmm. Like that's up to him. Yeah. That's right. And who are we to say? Exactly. And also, this is the moment where Ashitaka, you know, he's wounded and still recovering, but he does chime in. He was like, it was me. I killed Nogo, and he died far away from here, and he had become a demon because of what happened to him. It's not, yep. it's not that, you know, it was an opportunity for him to be here and be saved, really. Yep. And he says, I came here to lift the curse, and he shows the mark. It's important for them to see it. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, Moro says, finally, Habor will listen to reason. And um, Matoko says, ah, you are Moro's human child, aren't you? I've heard of you. This is where that, that old boar rolls up. Oh, yeah. The Keith David boar, baby. Yeah. Very so cool. Good. Cool voice, too. He looks awesome. Gigantic. <sighs> old, so blind. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah, that's what's interesting about him, too. At first, you almost think he's corrupted, but he's actually just extremely old. Even Chigo, when they were watching him from a distance, he was like, oh, I thought he died 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. But no, he's still at it. He's been, I, I feel like, you know, brought out of retirement for one last war. Like, he, that's what he's doing. He's like, he probably is essentially a, an old enough God where he, it is his almost time to lay down and, and pass away. But he's like, no, it is, I'm going to lead my tribe to war one more time. And that's essentially what he's saying here. He's like, we need to give them a final battle. We're, we're going to throw everything we have at this. Yeah. I like the inevitability you get from Moro in this. I like her I like her sort of pragmatic nature where she says, You're not gonna win against the humans, their guns will destroy you all. And Natoko himself saying, Look upon my tribe, we grow small and stupid, and we will soon be nothing but squealing game. Right. Which is in a in a interesting way, pretty solid argument for a, let's attack now while we are still mm-hmm. large. We have we have force behind us. We can we can still mount a fight. Yep. yep. Whereas and in his mind, he's like, it's not too long before, even if we wanted to fight, we wouldn't be able to. It's an admirable trait from Matoko because basically what he's saying is we will, we will live and die on our own terms. Basically. Yeah. I'm like saying, we're like, I, I don't want to be unknowing game for the humans. I want to be my own animal that chooses to fight against them or not. Right. Right. And, um, that's when we, we get a look in on things, uh, at, uh, the emperor has decided that he's going to uh, make a move on Eboshi. He wants that iron. And boy, is are his troops catching a beating. Dude, so bad. Ooh. So bad. And yeah. I think this is kind of, you know, it's kind of Dune-esque in, in the sense that like, oh, this isn't the emperor. This is some guy, Lord Asano. It's just his samurais. But it's kind of, you know, we know from Chigo's dialogue that it's like, wink, wink, the, the emperor has given his stamp of approval on the stack. Sure. 
Um, but dude, they are just kidding. It is so interesting to watch. Like we were talking about earlier, this is still such an ancient time, but it's on the precipice of, of starting to head towards industrialization, kind of modernity. Because yes. you watch these ancient samurai with their armor and their swords and their horses just get blasted. Indeed. Like, they have no defense against this. I mean, you know, as their commander is like, attack! He just gets blown apart. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. These and, guys are just popping. And, and honestly, man, set up earlier in the movie when she's like, this will pierce creature and samurai armor alike. Exactly. And here it is, blowing the shit out of them. <laughs> she just has ladies passing her rifles and load this one up. All right, you have another one. No, load it up. This is fun. <laughs> she took a video <laughs> game to her. Fucking shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Yep. But this is when Chigo goes down to talk to her again after the very quickly and easily won battle. Yep. She routes those guys. And she goes like, well, I've got the emperor breathing on my neck and you're busy planning war with Lord Asano, right? So we learned that she might have counterattacks in mind for that Mr. Asano. Oh, indeed. You know, because he's actually trying to convince her to go with Asano's, evidently his offer, uh, that just give him half of your iron and we'll leave you alone. And she's just like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> We're not doing that. Especially because she's figured out how to uh, manufacture weapons that really give her a huge advantage in, in any kind of conflict with the samurai. I mean, she has former brothel, brothel girls standing up on a tower, defeating these guys who are in armor, who, who probably have it in their mind, this is outrageous. We're, we're being <laughs> run off by former brothel girls with rifles. It's great. <laughs> Feminist triumph in 12th century Japan. It's just All a, these it, brothel girls wasting us. <laughs> It's just very much, uh, like you said, it has that modern bent to it. The technology mm-hmm. is the deciding factor. And I, lo- I love this little, this quick moment too, when uh, one of Lord Asano's messengers rides up and, and tries to kind of parlay with them. And they're just like, nah, <laughs> just start popping off shots <laughs> on the ground near him. <laughs> Demanding it. to open the gates. And she's like, eh, not interested. Can't yeah. trust him anyway. He's treacherous. <laughs> Blow raspberries at him and shoot at him. <laughs> yeah. But um, more more discussion, like you said, this is uh, Jigo talking to Iboshi and, you know, the 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 offer, right? Right, right. And she's like, ah, it's just paper. It doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. And she, you know, he's kind of making it seem like, it, we do find out here that he has essentially at least provided the initial rifleman that Indeed. she had, like protecting the place. And I think she's kind of advanced beyond that. But he's implying that, you know, I helped you defend this place and without my rifleman, this place would fall apart. And there's probably some truth to that. But she kind of goes on to point out that the only real threat to me left is Moro and her cubs. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not worried about the boars. We've fought them before. Even if they're mounting an attack again, we'll handle it. Right, right. Some pretty big confidence out of Iboshi here. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Jigo's forced to laugh at Iboshi saying, this is funny that this great spirit's head grinning immortality is something you're running on. He's like, I don't really care. I'm just a <laughs> humble monk trying to make a buck, you know? <laughs> a monk. That's the funniest part about him. Like, I know. dude, you're a monk. You're like an assassin murderer. <laughs> like, okay. I guess you pray sometimes. I don't know if you can call yourself a monk, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, where does where did this lead us to now? Let's talk about what we want to do next. 
Although, real quick, we, we find out that she has essentially got some, you know, elite hunters who are going to go out to specifically track down the, the forest spirit. Uh, and that is her, her next real right. mission. She's honestly not worried about the boar threat. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where, where she's headed now. But after that, we, we get some great dialogue back at the cave of Moro and San. And Ashitaka's awake at night watching, watching San sleep. And he goes out just kind of looking at the, scar, at the stars. <laughs> and this is where he starts to speak to Moro. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Moro is like, you could always jump and end this whole thing. And Ashitaka says, it feels like I must have been asleep for weeks. I had a dream that San was by my side nursing me. And I love when Moro just sort of casually says, I was hoping you'd cry out in your sleep so I could have bitten your head off to silence you. That's that nature. I wish you were weaker. <laughs> right? Exactly. And dude, it's so funny, that dialogue too, because she's like, I wish you'd cried out in your sleep so I could bite your head off. And then how she talks is like, this is a beautiful forest. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's just going to par- just parry that one away. I just not even acknowledge it. <laughs> 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 But, uh, but Moro, Moro fantasized about, about crushing Iboshi's head in her jaws, of course. And, Indeed. Um, she's like, look, the, 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 the flames and the guns will burn us all. And you know, that's another interesting difference. I just now kind of thought about thinking about the boars and, and Moro, their view on humanity. You kind of get the sense that Moro does not hate all humans. Definitely looks down on them a little bit, but mm-hmm. she wants to kill Iboshi. She sees her as the leading cause that's pulling all the other humans towards this, you know, clearing the forest and, and industry. It's like, I, I don't think she like necessarily would want to destroy all of them. She just thinks that like, I got to cut off the head of the leader. You know, right. It's her fault. Yeah. And there's also this feeling of inevitability, like I said earlier with moral, like, ah, their guns and fire will, will doom us all, which leads to this part of the discussion where Ashtag is like, then, then let her free. She's a wolf, not a human. And boy, Moro takes exception to that. Um, because it's almost like, it's almost like he slips from it in here and he's, and he's, it's almost like he's making a moral judgment. Like she's too good for you kind of thing. And she's like, how <laughs> dare right. you speak to a guy like that? This, this girl's parents threw her at my feet to get away. How's that yeah. for your humans? for your damn humans and i raised her <laughs> yes and i scared. i put her fucking through school yeah you know you know what how, you know what a pain in the ass it is to get to the bus on time it is a <laughs> hike you think you think i had to deal with so many tears her coming to home every day from wolf school getting bullied <laughs> do you know how many how many cubs i had to murder to protect her so <laughs> I had to many eat some of mine when i was really hungry <laughs> yeah <laughs> i am a fucking animal but um <laughs> Yeah. And he's just like, well, I don't know. We have to find a way to live. Right. And that's right. when she says, what? You join forces with sand and fight the humans? He's like, nope. <laughs> and again, he keeps coming back to this central thing, which is, I will not be responsible for more hatred. Yeah. And that's exactly. such a powerful thing <laughs> because it is. You are going to be responsible for more hatred. That's right. war. Yeah. Exactly. That's that there's no war. There's no way to rein in war and its consequences and its violence. Yes. Like you initiate it and it gets going, then it just gets going. And, and it's even going if just- you don't initiate it, you're gonna cause hatred. That's yeah. that's that is the never ending revenge thing, right? Right, right. Oh, I, I mean, don't know who started the first car bomb, but it doesn't matter because somebody's uncle and brother and mother are dead because of you. And then they're going to go kill somebody who's then going to lament that person being lost, which is going to just create it over and over and over again in this endless cycle of death. Right. 
right? Well, you want to understand why people are killing each other in some country right now, just go read history from 400 years ago and it all connects. Yeah. And Mara basically just says, leave. And uh, if you're here at dawn, I will kill you because she's now saying, you know, you have the mark, it's going to kill you. And um, (laughs) I have to do what I have to do. So you can't be here. And you know, there is a, great little bit of dialogue from Moro here when she says, now my poor, ugly, beautiful daughter is neither human nor wolf. Mm-hmm. And I feel like what's so interesting about that is that she doesn't see the irony of it, that you have appreciated a human being for being more than just a human being. That, sure. you know, yeah, your, your daughter isn't just a person. She was raised by wolves and she understands the wolves and you understand her, which means you have the capability of understanding human beings. <laughs> and she kind of it's like she is so caught up in her her war mind right now that she right. doesn't even notice what she's saying. And uh, and off they go, and um, they they prepare themselves to ride out to attack. Oh yeah, dude, this shit is so cool when they when the San and the wolves go run and meet up with the the stampeding boars on their charge. Yeah, I like the idea of the the burning the stuff to confuse their sense of smell. That's clever. Oh yeah. And uh, boy, they are going to go full bore at this. <laughs> sorry. Ugh, oh, Ugh, God. Sorry. <laughs> and the bar has been lowered, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, yeah, we and we simultaneously have the attack on Iron Town. Yeah, this is this is a cool moment of the Lord Asano and his samurais have rolled in because all of the able-bodied men have been pulled away from Iron Town to fight the boars and then to go on and hunt down the spirit forest, or the forest spirit. Wow, I keep fucking that up. But the forest spirit, they're all away from Irontown, so it's only the women who are left, and they thought this would be their, their ripe opportunity for attack. Indeed. A little bit of a skeleton crew, but they have the technology, they have the defense of the, of the place. It's well fortified. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty cool sequence. But what's really amazing is this really... Really, you got this kind of Lucas thing where you have the final confrontation at Irontown and them defending themselves from the Emperor's men. But the really important piece of this is this epic battle that leads to this showdown in this glen and, of course, the decapitation of the forest spirit and then uh, this, this, this entire ending. So, boy... Um, I think this will probably be the final part of our discussion outside of some comments and, and listener comments. So let's uh, let's get this right here. And there's a lot Dude, here. One last thing I wanted to say, I only honestly just now noticed before we lead into this, because this is actually the last moment where San speaks with Moro before seeing her again mortally wounded. This is like the last real conversation they have right. where she tells her, I want to go join Okoto because I don't want him to be you know charging alone. I want to support him in this. Um, and you know, Moro says, do as you will. And also you should know that boy wanted to spend his life with you. I think it's so interesting that she chooses to tell San that because San's response is just, I hate him and I hate all humans, but she still gives her her that piece of information of like, he cared about you. He respected you. And San cares about her. So I'm sorry. mm -hmm. And Moro cares about San. So exactly. And I I think that's so interesting, but yeah, the battle fucking kicks off boars putting on their war paint with their snouts it's really cool yeah so good and uh you know of course this is cut against the other stuff with the samurai more awesome more awesome shit of ashitaka fighting these samurai yet again 
popping oh, heads with dude. arrows. Just really cool action animation. Oh, hell yeah. When he's in the water and they're lobbing yeah. arrows at him, he's cutting him in half with his sword. <laughs> it's awesome. Oh, it's so fucking sick. And he has that, when he has a sword in his hand and they're far away, he's like, I don't want to quarrel with you. And then he sort of has that, he has the ring on the pommel of the sword and he just lets it swing down so he can pull an arrow. It's cool. Oh, yeah. Decapitation shot. Of course, uh, Yakul gets wounded and gets ended up getting a, becoming a little bit lame here. And, Dude, one um, of the biggest, most laugh out loud moments in this movie. I remember even in the theater when I saw this, everybody, uh, when he's being pursued by those samurai and, and he's like, stay back. And they, they keep coming and he fires the arrow. The one dude's dude, head just pops off. Punk. The other one just turns around and goes away. Like, never mind. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. You got it. Yep. You, oh, you, you, you learn about the, uh, you learn about his prowess. It's really impressive, but the real turning point in this conflict is when these boars are trying to go up the mountain and they just get bombed and those explosion shots of them just getting ripped up into the air. Ooh, yeah. And they're just, you know, the, the elite soldiers who were brought out there just casually kicking off, you know, little grenade boxes to just bomb them as they go up. Yep. And this is also a cool part. I like the idea of, uh, uh, Atoku, is it? Is that his name? The big old boar? Yeah, a coat too. I think. Fuck, I had it right earlier. Now I'm fucking it up. <laughs> well, I had it written down, and then I, I I went past those notes. So I'll tell you what it is in one <laughs> second here. It's uh, a koto, a koto, a koto. But um, the fact that he's blind and rushing to the water, where he can have his wounds sort of healed, unknowingly bringing the men in the board disguises. Yeah, who are using his desperation dead soldiers yeah yeah they're using his desperation to find the secret place where they believe they can find the forest spirit which will in turn lead to jigo's ability to get what he needs so he can bring it back to the emperor yeah which of course is the forest spirit's head pretty cool also a great moment earlier when he free when ashitaka frees the uh the wolf um, out, yeah, out from under sick. the bodies of all the, the, the boars. And that's when some of Chico's men are actually like, oh, you're on their side. You're helping the wolves. And finally, the Irontown people are like, fuck these guys. <laughs> and get yes. the shit out of them. Again, more, more, we, we see, uh, it, it's funny, we see more and more, it's a really good piece of storytelling where you have the conflict heating up, but at the same time, also some of this understanding between them. Right. Like you see that understanding. the the nose touching between the between the elk and the wolf right after oh, that's that so good oh, it, it's moment. cool like you see this a lot you see this idea of despite all of the terrible things happening you have also uh, coming together and understanding being achieved through this conflict and that's uh, one of the one of the central pieces of this entire movie is the inevitability of this conflict that Moro being referred to as a god seems to understand well beyond anyone. Her her talking about the inevitability of all this in a very cavalier way and rushing into danger and getting mortally wounded, she seems quite fine with because she there's a part of her that knows it's inevitable. And right. we see that inevitability play out in positive ways as well. And it's almost like she's hip to all of this that's going to happen because of the cyclical nature of all of this, because of the destiny that these two warring factions seem to have with each other. There's a, a sense of peace about her. Yeah. Yeah. She's she, really she cool. Seems to accept and understand. Yep. Yep. And yeah, and understand for sure. 
but yeah, this is where um, they get in there. The demon starts to corrupt uh, Akoto. Oh, dude, it's so brutal to watch Akoto have hope again in a way when he, yes. when he smells his warriors. He's like, my warriors, they've returned from the land of the dead. Forward. Right. right. Oh, not he's so just much. bleeding everywhere. Oof. Yeah. And this is where it all comes to a head right here. So good. Yeah. Because Okoto has become a full-fledged demon at this point, totally corrupted, you know, full of, of hate from dying this way. And that's it. He's He is now a demon that actually ends up in, in, basically ensnaring uh, San with all those little demon tendrils that emerge mm. out of him. And we've seen this before. This doesn't lead to anything good. Exactly. Another good, another little piece of good storytelling technique you can just kind of see in this that all these things have been established. We understand the stakes of seeing this. We know what this means when these tendrils come out. He's too far gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's also dangerous to even be touched. Absolutely. And there's there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of dialogue here, but a lot of it just breaks down to more saying, "Look, don't touch him. He's no longer a god. He's corrupted." Uh, she makes that comment about, I thought I was going to save the last of my strength to bite that woman's head off, but I must huh. save San because San is now caught up in the corruption because exactly. she's sort of like uh, stuck between tusk and nose here. <laughs> right. Just stuck. Yep. And uh, Moro demands her daughter back, but um, yeah, they uh, they realize it's going to take a little bit to 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 rescue the daughter. Yeah, but this, now this is the point where the forest spirit actually appears as, as she's trying to pull San off of Okoto. The forest spirit is there walking across the water. That's so awesome. It looks so cool. It's so quiet. Yeah. That's yeah. what's so interesting about this scene. Like everything has been such a chaotic mess of violence right now. Sure. And then that there's shot. the forest spirit. Just so peaceful. And the freaking neck shot it takes. Oh, man. Also, a great little piece from from uh, Moro here when she, you know, Ashitaka has actually fallen under the water, but she says out loud, Ashitaka, don't you want to save the girl you love? And that's mm -hmm. what wakes him up. Yep, it's very cool. Oh, that's great, but damn, yeah, that bullet goes straight through the fucking forest spirit's neck, and its eyes kind of widen, but it it doesn't, you know, slow down. It just keeps going forward. I like the representation of it possibly dying when it starts to sink below the surface of the water, thus losing its power. Right, right. It's really cool. And then it regains it. And it just walks directly up to, um, uh, obviously in this moment, Moro grabs her, grab, grabs San from the mouth, and he drags her into the water to heal her because he knows about the healing properties of the water. Meanwhile, you have the forest spirit just going up and boom, Right on the nose of the boar, and it's awesome. Oh, and just dies. Peaceful. That's it. Yeah. And the corruption dies with him, which is so powerful. Right, right. Just like that's that forest spirit is a goddamn god. It's so powerful. Just so powerful. And I love I love one of the things the way they portrayed Akoto being corrupted is that, you know, he had been sleepy and old before. Sure. And once he's corrupted and the tendrils are emerging out of his eyes are just like ghastly wide, like these piercing, huge, like crazied eyes. And then when the forest spirit kind of, you know, touches him on the nose, his eyes finally close. And he just like is at peace, like literally. That's right. Yep. And um it's all Kind of beautiful in a sense. Moro dies shortly after Koto. She just sort of drops 
Um, although mm-hmm. we do know that her, her head's going to come back in this crazy moment. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and um, that's when they are like, you know, we're going to take our shot on the on the forest spirit as so it as it starts to become night. The night walker. Yeah. And fucking, I do love this moment where, uh, you know, Ashitaka actually hurls his sword into the rifle and Aboshi still just writes her gun and tries to take a shot. Even after the forest god starts to grow vegetation out of it. So determined. She tears enough of it off to ignite it and take that shot. Yep. So good. But its head falls off. That's intense, man. What an intense moment. Dude, I this was the biggest shock for me when I first saw this movie. I was like, the forest spirit dies? Like, they actually, like, they got him? The bad guys just fucking won, essentially? <laughs> I was like, holy shit. I can't believe this is happening. Uh, but yeah, his head falls to the ground as a gigantic egg of that kind of undulating jelly mass that looks like it fills the Nightwalker just starts to grow in a big egg. Yeah. It's awesome, man. This is really visually appealing. Also, the way the way the forest spirit's head just sort of unceremoniously plops onto the ground. You're like, shit. <laughs> exactly. Hey, there's you're a like, finality in dead. that. Right. There's a finality in that where you go, ooh. And that's, dude, that's kind of what I mean about Miyazaki as well. Like that style of like, not like some big grandiose moment where its head falls off and it like, you see it like slowly like tumbling to the grass and it's slow-mo as we cut back to Ashitaka's face screaming like, no, or no, it's just (laughs) plump, 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 fucking head on the ground like anybody else's. And you're like, holy shit. Like that's more real. It's, it has more gravity to it. And it's just like, yeah, almost banality. Yep. Absolutely. It's really cool. (laughs) <laughs> they just toss it in their fucking like mobile chamber pot they have all ready to go. Just oh, throw the head in there, go. Yeah, but one one interesting thing about this too: the moment uh, the forest spirit is dead and, and it starts to grow, and we see this the mass of this you know almost what looked like the demon material growing out of it. We see the little all the little komadas. Oh, fuck, I'm fucking up the name now. But all the little Kodama. forest, you know, Kodamas, thank you. The little Kodamas falling dead. They're falling out of the air, uh, and you know everything becomes brown. Like the forest is already immediately unhealthy. Yeah, it's it's this moment in the movie where so much of this movie we have seen this idea that everything that's done there's repercussions to everything that is always done in these movies, right? Right, and that starts at the opening. Everything he does, his his decision to engage Nago the way he does and then get corrupted, which leads him on this entire path. And then everything he does, every choice he makes, there's a reaction. And we see it very viscerally in this movie. And, you know, their decision to fire at the face and decapitate the forest spirit, there's a consequence to it. And we see it really play out um, in trying to steal the head, which which does not go well. Right. Right. And this is, you know, where the moment where Ashitaka turns to San and he's like, you have to help us. You know, I, we need your help. And she refuses. She's saying, I hate you. I hate all humans. It's, you were always on their side. This is your fault that it happened. And I love his, it's almost a little bit ironic that we're going to be covering next week. A little bit of goodwill hunting of Loba. It's not your fault. <laughs> he's just sure. kind of, you know, she yells at him. She's like, I hate you. I hate all humans. I'm a wolf. I'm not you. But he tells her, you are a human. Uh, and he just walks toward her even after she hits him and embraces her as, you know, you are a human and that's, that's okay. And he just says, I'm sorry. And I tried to stop it. 
Right. You know, I'm not not saying I'm not on their side or I'm on your side or trying to convince her of anything. He just tells her the simple truth of I was trying to stop it. I didn't want this to happen. Yep. Which of course leads to them engaging directly with Jigo and his men over the head, which of course they're trying to take. And uh that's just not going to go well, is it? There's a bit of a fight. They take off and um and this is, of course, as the, the, the energy or whatever you would want to call it, the, the corruption of the forest spirit looking for its head just pours over everything, destroys yeah, Iron yeah. Town completely. Yep. Um, and we get to see Toku you know, take charge and be like, all right, everybody fuck it out. We can survive this. You know, th- that was cool to see that like, they are still organized and, and strong. And they escape, but Iron Town is utterly destroyed. And this stuff is just basically raising the whole landscape. Right. And that's why they have to get the head back to him. Right. What's really awesome about this, though, and it's it's very subtle. And what I like about this, of course, him presenting the head. And we see the land is lush. The land is beautiful. And not just that, but we also see, which I thought was really neat. And I didn't catch it on the first couple times I watched it, but the lepers get healed. Whoa, I didn't catch that either. Yeah, you see him like looking at their hands and their wraps are off their faces and stuff. I always thought that that was really cool because it really brings it all together, right? Of like everything has been restored. Wow. I did not catch that at all. Yeah, it's really neat. Shit, that's really cool. You see it right when they're all in the water at the end. If you like that, like that troop, because they're they're traversing the river. And if you you track them traversing the river, they go from being, it's really quick, but you see the girl kind of look at her hand. (sighs) That's cool. Yeah, it's neat. But yeah, we you know what's interesting about this this whole ending in a way like they restore the head back to the forest spirit, but the forest spirit once the sun rises, it actually just looks on it, and and I guess it's because maybe it wasn't in its sacred forest where it transforms back into the elk. I don't know, but he dies. I mean, he mm-hmm. yep. falls down into the earth and is dissolved essentially into it. Um, but. It like you said already, it restores the entire landscape and heals the lepers. I mean, everything grows back, even right over Iron Town. We can see the plants growing through it. Yeah, yeah, it it, it collapses in a very intense way, and uh, it makes you go, "Okay, the force of the spirit is truly dead." Um, but it also begs the question of the way it infuses itself, sort of into the environment, into the land, um, right? And it's and it's at that moment of death where you see it sort of everything falling apart. It's that the shockwave tears apart the mountain of industry. Iron Town goes down. Uh, the fires go out, but we immediately immediately see the lush healing properties on not just nature but on people as well. And I think that's that's important. And that's where you see kind of it's right at the two o five minute mark, more or less, where you see the um, the hillside and then the people and they're healed. And it's right. neat, and it's just uh, it takes upon this new thing, and and uh, that's kind of how it ends, right? You know, and we get a we get this moment between San and Ashitaka where he's basically telling her that I I want to help them rebuild, I want to help the people of Iron Town, but kind of this sense of balance of like I will still be returning to the forest, like we, we you know I care about you as well. We don't have to pick a side. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that she says, I will, yeah, they, they both go their separate ways, but they decide that, that he will visit her, so to speak. Right. You know, so it's a, obviously a, it's a big difference between yeah, 205 and 59 seconds. You kind of see them all with their rags open. But, um, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an important movement because it brings them together in a bit more harmony and a bit more understanding. You know, after this great conflict, there's a much different understanding and respect for one another, so to speak. And it continues right. when Yakul walks out to the two wolves and sort of just, you know, goes out there and is relatively unmolested. They don't, you know, they don't go after him and the wolves <laughs> don't continue pursuing the humans after all this. They just kind of let them be. Right, right. Um, and what's cool too is even uh, Lady Aboshi is saying, "I wow, that that girl and Ashitaka actually saved us. I need to thank him. I need to, you know, bring him back in." And she's like, "I, I want to rebuild Irontown and make it a better place." You kind of get the sense with all of this that, for one, I think the forest spirit dissolving the way it did and kind of just becoming the earth and it's not like a sentient being anymore becoming Correct. nature itself. I think it kind of puts it directly into the hands of everyone, of the exactly. animals, of the people, that it's yep. like, now it is up to you to tend to it. It is not being guarded over and shepherded by some big God. It's for everything. It's for everyone. You all you all must keep the balance yourselves. Correct. Um, yep. And that's I feel it. like that's kind of the, the final message here. And I mean, the very last thing we too, we see too is one of the Kamadas that's standing up. The little little forest spirit. Right. This, the forest's still a magical place, but it doesn't have the... F- forest spirit watching over it in in deciding upon life and death that responsibility has been passed on to each one of you and you must learn how to live in harmony with one another or you will end up destroying yourselves which is evident by what almost just happened right up until the forest spirit basically kind of died for the sake of everything right right yeah it's pretty awesome it's fucking cool man I fucking love this man. Yeah, and you go, I can never win against fools. I like that cute little uh, tag at the end there. <laughs> Just got to get my money. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's the movie. Princess Mononoke, pole winner. Awesome. Yeah, good man. shit. Very good shit. All right. We ready to... Uh... Tackle some listener comments? They are. They weren't announcements, so I'm just going to scroll down to them real quick. I'm on Facebook now. All right. Well, I can go ahead and do the first one while you get there. I will read one from Miss Lexi Carr. Everyone loves Ghibli, but when I want to show someone how anime can be dramatic and gorgeous, I make them sit down and watch this two-hour movie. Luckily, all it takes is a god-turned demon to melt away in one of the creepiest scenes I've ever seen in an anime, outside of an angel's egg, to get them hooked. I've watched this film easily 100 times since wow. I was 10. Holy shit. And it has played a huge role in my understanding of how industrialization and humans in general are changing our planet, which I know it to- which I know is totally high on Miyazaki's agenda. Have you seen his documentary? It's story, star-packed American voice acting cast, unforgettable visuals, and the quintessential Ghibli soundtrack have always kept this movie high on my list. Sorry, Totoro lovers. I'll take Claire Danes' dramatic ass throwing a tantrum and riding a wolf any day. Awesome. Damn. I'm right there with you. Good shit. I would like to read from Haley Fries. I lost her comment. Where is it? Um, shout out to Haley Fries because Haley always, um, she's all over the, the uh, aimbots group that we have the gaming for, page. for yeah, gaming. She's a true. big time gamer. She's always posting hilarious shit in there and she seems like a good shit. And mm-hmm. um, I think she found us through Annie Diaz's, but I, I'm not 100% on that. I think so. Uh, shout out to her as well. So, um, Haley, can't wait to hear this one. Love almost all of the Studio Ghibli films. I really enjoyed this story from the great music composition to the beautiful animation. Ashitaka and Mononoke 
are a badass couple. Plus, the giant wolves are pretty awesome. Only thing I don't like is the freaky forest spirit. Dude gives me the creeps. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I actually, I didn't really talk about it, but I do agree there. I remember when I first saw this in theater, the eyes, the fucking eyes of that thing. I was like, ugh, just unblinking and weird. Like, it's unsettling. Oh, awesome. Who's next? Uh, I will read Mr. Brock Walsh. Absolutely adore this movie. It was my first and probably still favorite Studio Ghibli movie. Alongside Grave of the Fireflies, this is one of their more adult movies. And no, I do not mean adult as in featuring tentacle porn and weird incestual sexual tension, you pervs. If you haven't seen this movie, it is 100% worth a watch, even if you aren't an anime fan. Good That's shit. something, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like we talked about that a little bit, but I do really want to hammer that home because I feel like anime still has a pretty big stigma on it. And in some ways, kind of rightly so, there's lots of just kind of crappy, churned out, quickie garbage anime that's, you know, silly and just like, you know, I, I get making fun of the stereotypes of anime and like the big, oh, oh, I got a silly big sweat drop on my head. Like that goofy <laughs> shit. I'm like, yeah, I understand when people see that and go, ugh, anime, that's dumb. There, there are this. I would argue this is not just like a great anime movie. This is a great film. It this is, is a, yep. an excellent piece of cinema. Uh, I think people who, if you have that knee jerk response of ah, oh, but it's anime, I'm not interested. Give it a try. I feel like this and Akira are two movies where I'm like, that's what I would use to convince somebody who just has a, a kind of stigma against anime. Give that a try. There's there's so much good anime out there, and there's so much bad anime out there, and that's okay. Oh, yeah. And that's, hey, that's like anything, baby. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is. It is exactly like anything. Uh, mm-hmm. for, for every 10 good dramas, there's 10 shitty ones. You just, you know, there's, <laughs> that's just the way it is. And, and anime is really, really no different. Uh, it's just at the outset, you're, you're working against a lot of social stigmatism that doesn't exist in, like, Japan, you know. They yeah, don't, they're exactly. not like, oh, it's goofy, it's for children. No, it's part of their fucking culture. Right. It's like, exactly. it's like, you know, it's like a street fighter. You know, it's not when, when they are interviewing a video game champion, they're not being like ironic. <laughs> like it's seriously, they really revere that skill set, you know? Indeed. Like uh, my good friend of the show, of course, good friend, uh, Jesse Ellis, at the bottom of his comments is this along with most other films from Studio Ghibli truly transcends the anime genre and show the kind of story that can be told in this medium. It's not all big eyes, small mouths and goofiness. It's a great <laughs> exactly. succinct way to say it. Um, Indeed. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to read that part of his, um, Daniel Kota, there are cartoons, then there is anime and then there is Miyazaki. My first exposure to him was Princess Mononoke, and it sounds cheesy as hell, but my life has never been the same. The visuals, the story, the voice acting, it all blew my adolescent mind. I don't realize, I, I didn't realize animated movies could look and sound like that. Suddenly, Saturday morning cartoons weren't going to cut it anymore. I needed the good anime shit. Miyazaki opened the door to a whole new genre of entertainment for me, and while I've fallen in love with other shows and movies, all the anime has been judged against Miyazaki's work. While Mononoke is my favorite film of his... Um, that would be Nausicaa or Howl's Moving Castle. There's something special about this movie, and it's a great stepping stone for people looking to get into anime but intimidated by the sheer volume of anime out there. That, Daniel, or the social stigmatism of liking anime, <laughs> which exists. <laughs> Indeed. Um, All right. Great, great got, comment. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. I got one more uh, from Adam Taylor. One of my all-time favorites, Princess Mononoke, was my gateway drug into anime. I didn't have disdain for anime, I just had zero exposure until I watched Mononoke when I was 15. 
Previously, under the notion that anything animated was for kids, I was jarringly disabused with the opening sequence of Ashitaka taking down the demon and saving the sentry in the tower. Mm. The animation is incredible. The storytelling is a little on the nose, but works well for the classic good versus evil epic. The cast is as good as it gets, and Joe Hisashi's score is flawless. This is an all-time great in the pantheon of both anime and fantasy movies. I'm so glad it was picked. Can't wait to hear what you guys... (laughs) Can't wait to hear you guys bash the hell out of my favorite. How dare you, sir, that we would bash this? Then we just have a... You know what I love about LSG Media and the Science Fiction Film Podcast? <laughs> I, I love that people have no fucking clue what we're going to think about a movie. I love it. As far as I'm concerned, that's a job well done. Absolutely. You know? I, I, want, mean, I want all like, you scared. I want you all it, scared of your classic. You, you guys Hold, Holding your goonies close, watching just, your pearls. Ah, there's just so many... You know, there's like two jokes in this whole podcast, and that's it. <laughs> And I love that. I love that there's, you can't track us, dog. What are you trying to do, man? We'll keep you guessing. Whoa, whoa. That's right, man. Floating like one, one second where, you know, one, one second we're keeping you on the outside with a jab. Next minute we're inside with punches and bunches, man. You don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. It might even sneak a little smooch in there. Might even kiss you. Yeah. One second we might be reaching right into your trunks and grabbing your gack with our gloved hand. What do you think of that? (laughs) With our poison demon hand and squeezing it right (laughs) off like (laughs) jello. You never know. Could have happened. <laughs> there we go. All right. We snuck in some fun, dirty shit. Fun stuff. End. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say it. I love this movie. I really uh, I really think it's a well done story. I like it a lot. I think it speaks to uh, the audience of 1997 and it speaks to me today uh, for different reasons as I highlighted at the beginning. Uh, just an enjoyable watch all around and just fun. This is a movie I can... This is a movie you can put on and just really enjoy. I don't know. There's something about it that just keeps me coming back to it. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I unapologetically love this movie. Love it. Um, And you know, there was a a Miyazaki quote I wanted to bring up. One of the few quotes of his I actually saw from an interview um, that I think is really cool. And I think it kind of gives an insight into his perspective on storytelling and anime. He was actually asked about anime in general and like other, you know, his peers in in animation and his thoughts on it were actually, I don't watch a lot of anime. I don't like it because most of it is so cold and shallow and all the characters just kind of wallow in despair. And he was basically saying that it feels like other anime creators have such a mechanical view of life. Those were his words, a mechanical Hmm. view of life. And I feel like this movie is the perfect example of him having the opposite take on life. It is very just soulful and connected to to the ground and then the soil and the world and kind of giving moral the same moral weight to animals as to people as to the environment as to everything it's as a big connected beautiful sad scary amazing system um and it just kind of has a reverence for life and nature and people uh not putting anything over the other and i just think it's so cool man all of his movies have kind of the same balanced tone to them where everybody everybody feels like somebody you can understand and nobody's one dimensional that's kind of true across everything but i think this movie especially has such a i don't know a cool nuanced view of nature and conflict and mm-hmm. sympathy for conflict itself even uh, and the need for it and the tragedy of it it just has a i don't know it's very hard to describe but that's part of why i love it it's something i want to keep coming back to and watching more and more and seeing new angles for yeah. it's great it's a great movie man and unlike I've said in the past, I'm genuinely interested in some of those other films by him that I've never seen. So I got to get on that, especially when people are telling me that there are some of his other films I like better. A couple of people said that. So Spirited Away is fantastic. I've seen that. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah so I like Spirit Away. I saw it when I had a fever once and I couldn't hack it. <laughs> that, like, yeah, that would be a weird movie. One. Uh, oh, it. shit. I actually own it on DVD, I think, somewhere, which is funny. <laughs> You're scared that no face is like going to come out of your sink drain and attack you. That's, oh, fuck. That, that's right. All right. Of course, don't forget to visit on the web, Matthew. And next, uh, we're on at LibertyStreetGeek.net, right? And next week, we're going to be talking about uh, about a movie that uh, that goes a little something like this. Ready? Let me see if I can get this. <laughs> see, the sad thing about a guy like you is in 50 years, you're going to start doing some thinking on your own. And you're going to come up with the fact that there are two certainties in life. One, don't do that. And two, you dropped 150 grand on a fucking education you could have got for a dollar 50 in late charges at the library <laughs> goodwill hunting <laughs> uh, classic best in movie classic and that is my favorite fucking line in that movie it's so good it's really good you dropped a hundred and you dropped 150 grand on a fucking education you could have got for a dollar 50 in late charges at the library it's such a dick such a dick kick for a smug cunt Oh God! Good shit. A lot more joking in that one, which is hilarious because it's way more serious. It's way more serious, and we're gonna talk about it so much. But it's gonna be fun. Fucking, I I dig that flick. I saw it in the theater. Nice. Many moons ago. (laughs) I mean, I've seen it many, many times. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it. And yes, uh, sir. So we will be at you next week with Goodwill Hunting, and uh, and then um, we'll probably have a little bit of a announcing to do on the Goodwill Hunting podcast. So (laughs) stay tuned for that. <laughs> um all right mr anderson i'm going to get out of here i bid you adieu and uh to the listener we will catch you guys on the flip side <laughs>